Hey, everybody in the galaxy, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In. We're going to be a little more low-key because we're marking passings in this episode. I'm Mac, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by my fellow dirge chanter, Ross. Mac, I'm sorry today that we have to talk about such a dour subject. It's going to be sad. It's going to be emotional. It's going to at times be frustrating. But we are going to talk about the deaths of our original trilogy heroes, Han, Luke, and Leia. Mm-hmm. Now that we are at a point where we have all three of their deaths, we have um, enough time between the Rise of Skywalker and now, I think, to really feel everything we're feeling and to hopefully bring it to the surface here. Um, we're going to reflect really what we're doing. You know, we've done scene breakdowns before, although this is going to be a little more in depth because we're going to talk about not only the impact on the scene, that moment in the movie, we're going to talk about how it impacts the characters around them and mm-hmm. the universe as a larger whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we are going to be getting into some, some, some depth here. And I also want to say spoilers for the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Because um, we'll start by going chronologically. We're going to go through the death of Han then Luke, then Leia, and, and, you know, it's 2020, 2021. You definitely don't have enough depression in your life, so buckle up. Let's go talk about some death. First funeral here is going to be for the first member of the OT we see meet their, I can't even say untimely, meet their end. Yeah. I mean, Harrison Ford wanted him dead for a really long time, so it's really not untimely. It, you're right. I mean, you know, how long do people live in the Star Wars universe? Darth Vader was only in his late 40s, right, when he died. So, I mean. I saw a meme that was talking about. Queen Amidala, and yeah. it was like meme reactions of her face, and she's like, oh, it's like realizing that Anakin's nine years old. <laughs> then her like thinking really hard, and it's like realizing that age is relative because it's based on the rotations of your planet and the positions of your sun. And then her looking real excited, God. and it says, and Tatooine has two sons, so technically he's 18. Oh my God. And it God. made me just think about like, yes, yeah, age in Star Wars has got to be weird. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That we have a galactic calendar, but do we have a like 
I assume you galactic have galactic age scale. If you have a galactic year, I'm assuming there's also galactic standard age, like the yeah. age that you are considered in the imperial registries. Yeah. Maybe we're just, you know, they're so far beyond needing to care about it that they just don't care anymore. That's true. And I mean, it's not like Hans turning in his birth certificate to know exactly when he was born. He's born as a ruffian on Corellia. So it's yeah. not like, not he like know, he, it's not like he really actually knows specifically how old he is. Yeah. Good point. Good point. So Han dies here at the age of something. 50 to 120, at least, somewhere in there. I mean, technically, we could figure it out, right? Because don't we know how old he is in Solo, and he's 30 at the start of A New Hope, right? Let's say that he's probably, what, 17 at the very beginning of Solo when he's in the streets. He spends two years in the Imperial Academy, so he's maybe like 19, uh, it's, 20. It's three years when he meets... in the Academy, I so think, right? He's Isn't like... it three years later? So he's like Why didn't we 20... think to look up ages? Real quick, I guess so it doesn't really matter. Let's talk through. So like, he's yeah. like 20-ish when he meets yeah. Beckett or whatever, right? Yeah. And that's all, what, six or seven years before? How many years is that before New Hope? Ten. Solo. Ten. Ten. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. So he's like 29, yeah. 30 yeah. when we meet him right. at the bar in in uh, Tatooine, right? right? Right. Exactly. So let's just, for sake of ease, he's 30, right? Right. Then we've got what? the. Th- so he's 33, 34 at the end of Return of the Jedi. Right. Give or take. And then 30 years later. So mid-60s. Yeah, which, that jives. Harrison yeah. Ford's in his Perfect. early 70s, so, Perfect. like, that jives. Yeah, actors always play people younger than them. Yeah. <laughs> Even when they're in their 70s. Um, So Han's about 60 or so when he's gone back to smuggling. <laughs> he's hauling raptars for King Prana, yeah. and, uh, you know, um, that's that's the last years of his life. That's his last job, is hauling <laughs> those raptars, raptars and, 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 yeah. and screwing it completely up. <laughs> Well, technically, his last job is attempting to uh, infiltrate and destroy Starkiller Base. So let's talk about it. Okay. Now, with all of these deaths of our heroes here, I think we will inevitably end up talking about sort of all three of them in conjunction. Because not only are we talking about, you know, the actual scenes, the moments of their death... But we're talking about the reasonings behind it and the Mm -hmm. impacts of it on the world itself and the characters around them. So with Han here being the first one, there are other implications we have to think about. For example, you know, how does this affect the person who kills him, his son? And that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about here. Yeah. So let's just frame the story of his actual death and then we'll get to the the branches that come out Mm -hmm. of that, of how it affects the people around him. Because essentially... Through the will of the Force, through the plot, through J.J. Abrams having neat ideas, one reason or another, it ends up that Ray and Finn end up meeting Han Solo and dragging him back into that world of freedom fighting. He ends up seeing his wife. He ends up kind of reuniting with C-3PO, even though you couldn't tell because of his red arm. You know, he ends up right essentially in New Hope's crosshairs again, where He's become cynical. He's walked away from all of that. He's, you know, talking about how, you know, Luke was the best of us and he walked away from all of it. So, like, it's not surprising Leia and Han went back to what they were doing before this whole rebellion. And for one reason or another, he decides, I can still do some good. You know what? These kids definitely need a wet nurse to get them past this planetary shield on Starkiller base and some adult to get them actually through this mission. You know, and we see that in the things of like, that's not how the force works. You were a janitor. <laughs> like him just being 
constantly surprised how ill-prepared these kids are, oblivious to how ill-prepared his, his saving of his wife was at the Death Star, because talk about a rack-shackle plan that has no idea what they're doing, right? Just wants to sit around and wait. Yeah, it's better than marching into the detention center. <laughs> All right, so... I think we could make the argument here that Han's death really starts when he is, um, you know, on Dakar and he's having his his moment with Leia. They're having the conversation. Oh, okay. Right before Ray and Finn. Well, they go to rescue Ray with Finn and Chewie and all that good stuff, right? So right before they board the Falcon, they're outside the Falcon, and you know, Leia comes up to him and they have this little speech about, you know, no matter how much we fought. I've always hated watching you leave, right? That's her line here. Right. And this is, you know, probably the best carry moment that we're going to get in episode seven. So mm-hmm. it is kind of that. It's an emotional moment for both characters, not just Han, obviously, right? And for us as the audience watching. And they have this little, you know, conversation quips about, oh, it wasn't all that bad, was it? Some of it was good. And he goes, yeah, pretty good. And, you know, they're, they're, it's, it's showing that they did have a history that we were not able well, to see. I think the secret you see there is I feel that like even after their son broke their marriage, right, you know, that that trauma split them and made them have to go heal themselves because they couldn't stay together because of the pain of reminding them of what they created together. I, I still feel that like, oh, yeah, you you know, Leia's like, oh, there's a sighting of Malayan Falcon. Where was that? Uh, you know, just bring, bring an extra copy of that report for me. And like on Solo, you know, he's like, like, she's uh, starting a resistance. That's cool. Uh let me click around and find a little more about that. Like you could tell that they, while separated their love, never, they may have gone down to like embers, but like they never really stopped caring about each other. That's, that's what the whole interactions they have is this very muted, very mature, like in strange people going like, Hey, do you, do you still love me? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. We should fix this. Yeah. How do you want to do that? let's just be busy with the things we were doing rather than go through those feelings. What do you say? Okay. Uh, yeah. And that's absolutely what we have here. And the uh, conversation even ends with, you know, they're, they're embracing. And if you see our son, bring him home. Right. You know, basically not only Leia kind of saying, Hey, you know, believe in him. He still has something left to show you. You know, he still has some things left. Uh, he can surprise you. But in this same moment, at the same time, it's telling us that, you know, if Ben had not left, if that had not happened, then maybe they would still be together, right? That right. is the only... That's, that's the schism. Yeah, yeah. That is the wedge that drove them apart, like you were saying, right? And it's important, I think, for us all to remember here that this only happened, uh, you know, five, six years before this. Yes. This is a relatively, you know, Ben has only gone to the dark side relatively well, recently. You but, know, they had a 20-plus year relationship together. Was, well, well. They had a 30 plus relationship year, but like the wow. whole point about it is like they've been married for the better part of 30 years with yeah. a happy, successful marriage. Yeah. So like you said, the trauma is still pretty new. All things in, in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, okay. So we arrive at Starkiller base, right? Mm-hmm. Ray has broken out. They're all trying to find each other. Finn and Ray and Han and Chewie. They, after uh, throwing Phasma down a garbage chute, they reconnect. For her to escape. <laughs> For her to escape. They reconnect and they end up in this really ridiculously cool set piece, right? Yes, there's a speeder chase that was cut from the movie that Ray and Finn are dealing with. And 
I guess that's cut for the movie. Never mind. Yeah. So we end up at this um, ominous bridge, right? The, the important thing is our, our characters, Ray and Finn, end up at, because of the snow speeder chase that doesn't exist, um, and they have the little scene, but they, they end up basically at a gallery looking down into this space right. as Han, Chewie, and Kylo are actually in it. So they're essentially an audience to what's about to happen. Yeah. Han and Chewie are rushing around uh, placing explosive devices because they're going to blow a hole in the oscillator so the X-Wings can get in and cause some real damage, right? That's right. why they're here. Yes. Now, and of course, to rescue Rey, right? Right. So we see Kylo, you know, he sends the stormtroopers after him. He can feel that his father's there. Mm-hmm. He walks out onto the bridge, fully clothed, and not only is this, uh, you know, bridge huge, it's over a giant ominous pit, no safety railings, so, you know, classic Star Wars. Well, we can tell that this oscillator is part of the power systems of Starkiller Base, so it probably is going down to planetary core magma, like it's a bottomless pit that ends in lava, because it's got this red mist rising from it, and like, well, again, Kylo Ren is not at any level trying to avoid, you know, judo Christianity thinking of like, hi, I'm over here in hell. <laughs> um, and we kind of get that Han is sort of connecting with what Leia told him. And Han is going to not Han. He's going to try and repair in what ways he can. Yeah. This terrible relationship. And so he shouts out for the first time we know Ben. Yeah. And. Not only is that a great character moment for Han, right? It's great for us as the audience because not only are we, you know, learning this character's name here in this moment, which mm-hmm. is something that, you know, we didn't know was going to happen. I mean, we didn't know if we would learn that now, if we would we, learn that in the future, if we would learn that ever. Yeah, because all we all we found out was he's their son, mm-hmm. and that's all we needed to know. And then when we get the name, and you have the implications as us as an audience of the name of like, oh, he's named after Obi Wan. Oh, hmm. Mm, exactly. Stings. So it starts off the interaction in a really poignant way. And then as Han sort of slowly crosses the bridge out to him, you can see the way that Harrison is acting. And it really brings a lot to the performance by giving this actor a chance to shine, um, you know, at his older age. I don't know, Mac, if you've seen any of the other films he's been, he's been in recently. There was, um, what was it? He was in The Call of the Wild. He was in that. Um, I didn't see Call Age of, of Adeline movie. I've heard he's the. I think the. Uh, I, I think to be honest. I think the last thing I specifically remember watching was like K K nineteen Widowmaker when he's in the sub movie. That was mm, that's probably like ten twelve like, years ago. Isn't that the nineties? Oh no 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 no! That was way more modern. I okay. was working at the theater. I think at the time. So I think it was okay. like two thousand eight two thousand nine. Oh boy, that's still a while ago, isn't it? It is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So No, I have not seen him hanging out with the most realistic looking dog, Buck, in what, Call of the Wild. Oh, I know what I saw him in, and he was still great in that. He was great in Ender's Game. He was great in Ender's Game. Ender's Game. Pretty solid movie. Anyway, yeah. so let's get to the actual, <laughs> the actual scene here, right? So Harrison Ford, good actor and bringing it here. Yes, absolutely. Um, so they go, you know, he starts to cross this bridge. And we have this little bit of dialogue here. You know, Han Solo, I've been waiting for this day for a long time. You know, and Han says, take off that mask. You don't need it. What do you think you'll see if I do? Right? This whole moment of basically Han and uh, Ben having this conversation of, listen, you are still my son. I don't care what you've done to this point. I understand that you've done bad things, but you still have a chance here. 
come back with me. Just reconciliation. Just be with me. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. You're so convinced that you, you know, underneath that mask, you were this evil person. You were Kylo Ren, but no, you were not well, truly that person. And I think what we're seeing as an audience is Han is trying to connect with Ben Solo, who's underneath that mask. Ben Solo is trying to convince the world that the mask is his face now. Right. Um, and by, you know, by the end of this, uh, we're going to just see how fractured of a soul Kylo Solo Ben Ray is in the sense that he doesn't he's not really either one anymore. He's both of these creatures and he's having huge amounts of problems because yeah. the whole act he's about to perform is to demand that I am Kylo Ren. I am the Dark Lord of the Sith, the, the, the you know, the prodigy of Vader. I am the big bad evil guy. Yeah. But we'll spend the next movie realizing like, but I don't feel that way and I should have. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's what's so this is where I think we'll start to talk about some of the other movies uh in these topics right so when you have ben you have this character who fully believes right his dialogue here is even your son is gone he was weak and foolish like his father so i destroyed him right so believing that he has crossed this threshold believing that there is no way back you know after he kills vo and hanix and he's responsible for the you know what he believes is the death of luke and the death of his um you know apprentice friends at luke's academy and then all of the things he's done in the five, six years interim, you know, killing Lor Santeca, as we see at the beginning of this movie, he believes he has gone to a point where it's too far. And I also want to point out a little bit more dialogue here, right? Han goes, you know, that's what Snoke wants you to believe, but it's not true. My son is alive. And Kylo's line is, no, the Supreme Leader is wise. And here is where the dialogue started to feel a little bit weird to me at first, okay. because it got to a point where it's like, you know... Before this, it was kind of almost like a give and take conversation, but now it seems like the answers Ben is giving aren't really directly responding to what Han is saying. It's more like he's talking about it inside of his own head. As the scene progresses, you you get from a place of he is speaking from confidence, and then he is using other people. Like the the supreme leader is wise, is him going like, "No, Snoke's smart and stuff." Like he's not defending himself and he's using other people to defend himself. Yes. But then it transitions into, you know, Han saying Snoke is using you for your power. When he gets what he wants, he'll crush you. You know, it's true. And mm. this is one of my favorite parts of the entire scene because Ben knows this is true. Of course. Right. Is. And this is going to play really well into the next movie as well, because Ben knows this is true. He's known this is true since before this moment. Right. And so his only response is it's too late. Well, and the thing about it is, like, he has echoed his grandfather. He studied everything about his grandfather as much as he humanly can, and he has to know that his grandfather was a puppet of the Emperor for most of that time, and that the Emperor, he had, like, a bunch of apprentices, so this guy's disposable. What but I mean, see, here's the thing, though, is I don't think he knows that at this oh, point. I, I, because he didn't learn about, I mean, how much does he know? He doesn't know Darth Vader as his grandfather until four or five years, six years before this, right? Well, earlier than that. Bloodline takes place six years before Force Awakens. Right, but. And in the six? whole crux of the end of that book, spoilers, is that Leia is fretting that she has not told Ben that Darth Vader was his grandfather. Correct. Right. But we can assume that he spent every waking moment. <laughs> like, he found the helmet somewhere on Endor. Like, 
he's he's obsessed with his grandfather. I can't imagine he doesn't rephrase that. If nothing else, he knows the Sith ways. But he, I guess what I'm saying is what he knows about his grandfather is what Palpatine has manipulated him into believing. He doesn't know the oh, actual God. truth because okay. that's all in his head. Okay, let's, Luke let's, or Leia never took the time just, to actually tell him about it. Let's just stop right there. You're right. I have to remember, of course he doesn't know that, that Vader was Palpatine's puppet because he and Snoke are Palpatine's puppets as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. Apologize for not internalizing that because obviously in, you know, at the time of this movie's release, well, Palpatine's super dead, he, obviously. What do you mean? He's alive. He's on Exegol. I know that now. <laughs> and to be, and again, not to be a sequel basher, but like, and I'm okay with that now. Like that's, is what is happening, but you're right. I am still thinking of it as the information about Palpatine's manipulation. There's no one actively covering that up in the galaxy. And there is. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, right, like, right, right, right. Like, because um, the Palpatine's influence never ends. So, okay, let's get back to the scene, though. I think the thing again here is Han cracks through the shell of him, and he is starting to be Ben Solo. And Ben is getting really nervous about this inflection point he's about to hit. He has a chance to do what his heart wants, which is reconcile a little bit with his dad except the fact that like there is a place for him with a family. He can go back or does he double down with Snoke and what he thinks is his become his destiny. And does he try to purge the last bits of Ben Solo out of the figure that is Kylo Ren? Right. And this is probably a good enough time to talk about all of the lighting that we're seeing here. Mm -hmm. Right. So when we first walk in, we see that, you know, there's basically red coming up from below and there's blue light behind, um, so every yeah. person's face is illuminated in red, but behind Ben, it starts off blue. And there's this really great shot at the beginning where you kind of have where even though his entire face is covered in red, basically everything behind his hairline is blue. blue. Yep. And so it's this really great hero shot of him against the blue black backdrop for a brief moment. And then, of course, it slowly starts to fade out and it transitions to more red and less blue. And then my favorite shot is as they start, you know, he he basically, Ben has the line, you know, I'm being torn apart. I want to be free of this pain. I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Will you help me? And as he basically drops his helmet, takes his lightsaber off his belt, they're holding it together. And you have that great where Ben's, Ben's hands are illuminated in blue light, Hans are in red. Yeah. And you have this cross section of them both holding the saber. And at this point, you know, as an audience member, you're thinking, oh, what is about to happen? Because there's no way this is going to end well. well. Well, I think the thing is, I think we're all initially going like, oh, well, this is an interesting turn. Maybe he'll come to the good side. Maybe those rumors about Ray is going to become the villain and Kyler Ren's going to be the redemption story. Maybe those are all true. But the orchestra doesn't lie to us. And the yeah. very first notes of Kylo Ren's theme start punctuating a mm -hmm. little bit in the under mm -hmm. underscore. And I, I also just want to give a big thumbs up here to JJ. I'm very impressed. He was able to show almost this entire scene without cutting away. Yes. Like, and for him, I know how hard that is to not, you know. And he lets us live in that moment. Yeah. And uh, well, he shows that, well, he's. He's a good filmmaker. He really is. It's just the Oh, he, see, I assume got... it's because the Kazdans wrote it. I assume that's why this one is, feels competent. I but... don't think a cinematic okay. or editing choice came from the writing room, but that's me. Well, no, but <laughs> having an... <laughs> the art direction, the dialogue, 
I don't think those things came from him either. I, guess I don't think he, I don't think you can take yeah. this from JJ. This is JJ knowing that this scene needs to be you as the yeah. audience arrested and the best way to arrest an audience and not let them go is lock them into the yeah. roller coaster and have a really long take. Yeah. I mean, I, you're right. I mean, I agree completely. It seems weird that he would know that and do that because he has proven time and time again, he doesn't know how. So it's watch, great. No, no, no. If you watch the like Star Trek remakes, he's known that like death scenes and stuff are supposed to be long and arresting. Like yeah. when Colonel, when Captain Pike dies in Into Darkness, I'm like, that's good filmmaking. The rest of this movie is very ups and downs, but this scene works. <laughs> um, um, well, and that's what we're arguing here is this scene does work and it does work well because as they're holding the lightsaber and as Ben's face is slowly turning from you know, kind of complacency to anguish. He ignites the lightsaber and it goes through Han. And then there's also the secondary stab. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the secondary push. So after the ignition, you know, they're staring into each other's eyes. Han kind of, you know, is, is looking, they're almost kind of shocked, but still, you know, well, looking at his son. It's surprise because Han didn't think it was going to go that way. But there's a acceptance like, he's not angry at his son. Yeah. He's surprised. Right. He's not angry. And like you said, Kylo gives that extra oomph because I think we're already foreshadowing that, oh, Kylo, did turning the lightsaber on and killing your dad, did that not fulfill you? Well, maybe if I stab harder. Yeah, maybe if you stab harder, maybe that'll make you feel better. Yeah, I'm sure it'll make you happy. And when he does that, Han's reflection to that is just basically his features to soften and basically just be like, I forgive you, my son, is sort of what he seems to be conveying of like, I don't hold you responsible for this. This isn't your fault. Yeah. And well, that's going to come back in episode nine. Yeah. Right. That memory of Han is going to come back and we'll talk about that when we get to Leia's death. But yeah, there's a lot going on here, obviously. Obviously, then there's, you know, Han putting his hand on on Ben's face and Mm -hmm. as he deactivates the lightsaber and Han sort of slowly falls off of the off of the walkway into the misty pit below. Right. Presumably never to be seen again. But What I think is worth bringing up here is what effect, you know, is this having on Kylo, first off? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, what effect does this have on the characterization of Han? So, you know, we know that Ben is this character who was manipulated from a young age and was basically similar to the way a Jedi is brought up, was told all sorts of things that turned out to only be kind of half-truths and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, misleading. And essentially, that mixed with direct manipulation by the dark side caused him to become this evil thing. Now, obviously, he's the opposite of Anakin. Anakin, right, being constantly called to the dark side but wanting to be light. Here we have Ben constantly being called to the light side but wanting to be dark, right? Right. And so you can argue that maybe that makes him more evil, maybe that makes him less evil because he's, you know, directly being manipulated, whereas Anakin was only sort of passively being manipulated, right? Anakin was, hey, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I can help you. Kylo's literally hearing voices in his head, like... Well, I I would argue that Anakin has... The Supreme Chancellor having great chit-chats and meetings and tea with him, reminding him, like, well, Anakin, I think you're the most powerful Jedi. They should recognize that. Don't you think? Mm -hmm. And that's, like you said, not, it's not because, like, you should join Team Evil. But he's telling power, passion. These are the things that make you the best, Anakin. Secretly, these are also Sith traits. But, (laughs) so, like, it's, it's kind of a similar thing. And I think what you see, let's talk about in episode seven, the way I feel you see this play out is you see 
spend for the rest of the movie trying to, I'm, I'm Kylo Ren. I don't have feelings. Yeah. Because the second he's killed his father, he's fallen off of it. You hear a freaking death knell scream from what I'm going to frame as, because I feel this is the way they see each other. His uncle starts shooting at him. Chewie starts shooting at what is essentially his nephew, right? I, like, yes, but I just want to clarify one thing here, right? Is before that, so when Kylo first stabs Han, right? Yeah. Chewie has his moment. It cuts to Chewie and he screams. Then it cuts to Ray and Finn and we see their reaction. But it's not until after Han has fallen and there's that moment, that close-up of Ben's face, that Chewie then has another anguish how and then shoots at Han or at Ben. So Because he, he's interpreted what's happened. Yeah, so it's this great moment of Chewie dealing with the pain, Yep. right? Seeing it and feeling it and then collecting his thoughts. But that second roar is still the roar of, I can't believe I have to shoot Ben. And that moment alone, I think, makes it just that much better of a and scene. So in that moment, when Kylo Ren sees that he's being attacked and he sees the, the those damn meddling kids up there in the gallery also shocked and awed, right, as yeah. they start shooting at him, I think this gives him a moment to sort of dive back to relieve himself of the catharsis of this moment, to stop thinking about Ben and just become Kylo Ren and defend yes. himself, right? Yes. And for the rest of the movie, we end up, you know, him chasing them and then him trying to get them before they get to the Falcon and then him fighting them. And then him without his mask, showing his stupid face, his stupid Ben face. He doesn't like anymore. Where's my mask? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not Ben. Right. And he has to fight not one, but two people who have like never hold a, held a lightsaber before. And the first one holds his own better than he should. Yeah. But you know what? He's just an idiot holding a lightsaber. But that's okay. It's my lightsaber. As soon as I get it, that will give me the catharsis to killing my dad did it. If I can just collect all these tokens, I will be the Vader I want yeah. to be. Just got to get all the pieces All right. Let together. me just pick up this lightsaber because you're knocked out. And where's it going? Where? Oh, 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 the girl has it. <laughs> well, that's okay. If this dude, who's a trained First Order Stormtrooper, he knows what he's doing. If he can't fave me, <laughs> this girl's going to be easy. No. No, no, she she knows what she's doing. Why? Why? That's my lightsaber, damn it. <laughs> right? And it's all of his yeah. bravado as this black hooded figure falling apart. I mean, at one point, he's just basically like, no, I'm strong and evil and stuff. Let me pound the wounds in my stomach to remind me how ooh, I am. Like, he is trying everything to go, this is the moment where I become Kylo Ren and I don't have doubts anymore. This That's what's supposed to yeah, happen. Absolutely. And then he doesn't. And then he loses Starkiller base. And he's, he has to go home with his tail between his legs. And it's just this, he did not get what he wanted. And because of killing his dad and committing parenticide, he has only increased the schism between yeah. him and Ben. And now he's got a cool scar. Of course, the scar is in a different place than it will be in the next movie, but that's okay. What's important is he has a physical fracture to show the split that's widening in him. He literally, you know, his face is showing the binary nature of him and how, in many ways, what was supposed to be the triumphant consumption of Ben Solo for the person that is Kylo Ren turns out to give them equal footing in his head. Yeah. So... Now that we see the effects in the immediate 
time, right? Yeah. So Han dies, sends Ben off center, causes him to lose to Ray, and ultimately starts his redemption arc, right? Right. We know that by the end of this, it is Ray and his parents that will ultimately lead to his redemption, right? They're Correct. the ones who save him, right? Right. So, and also we should say, Finn and Ray have now fully confirmed that he's an evil, unredeemable monster at this point because they've killed one of the nicest people these two people have ever met, which admittedly comes from them not meeting many people, but still. Absolutely, right? It's They do a great job, too, of building up Han's relationship with Ray and Finn throughout the film. I mean, this is a Han Solo movie at its core in a lot of ways, and so they do a great job with building up that character and that friendship, right? So let's talk about what would have been, how should I put this? There's a lot of people out there mm-hmm. who don't like the way that the sequel trilogy went, right? There's a lot of people who don't like the way the the characters, you know, their heroes died, met their end. And so I figure before we even get to Luke, because obviously that is the most talked about Contentious. One, right. Uh, let's just talk about it here briefly what would you have liked to have seen, right? Because, you know, we've talked about this briefly before, I think, maybe on Twitter, maybe on the show, but would someone outflying Han Solo and the Falcon shooting him out of the sky, would that have been satisfying? Would someone beating Luke in a saber duel be satisfying? Well, okay, I'm the wrong person to ask, because my answer is, do you want the most cathartic ending? They're not part of the story. Sure. Well, because the second you bring them back as old people, guess what? They have aged. They've become old people and they're not able to do adventures they did in their 20s in old age. And everyone who has them in that pedestal of their great action heroes. And just because I got old, I'm like, no, you, you got old, too. Like, I don't think like, you know, if you're a fan of the original trilogy and you saw it when you were seven, I don't think you're excited to go swing over chasms and fight trash compactors anymore. Right. right. Why would you expect your heroes to have not been mortal like you? So my answer is, if they were all the way in the background, that would be the most satisfying or rephrase that. The least controversial way for them to be involved in the story is to be the teachers and mentors of the next generation and not be put in situations where their action credentials would have to be checked. I think that's a very, very fair and right way to interpret it. Mm -hmm. My thought on it would be simply that when you have each of these characters, Mm -hmm. right, if you're going to kill them, if that's the mandate, right, because... Going into this, for whatever reason, the mandate was each character had to die in one of the movies, right? They sort of decided that somewhere along the construction of the film. Right. Whenever yeah. it happened, who it's only to be speculated at, right? Well, we don't, I don't think, really know. Well, let's put it this way. At the end of seven, I don't think we, we went, oh, I guess the death warrants have been signed for Luke and Leia. By the end of eight, we're like, oh, well, Leia's not making it to the end of nine. And then mm. Carrie dies. And then you're like, oh, she's super not making it to the end of nine now. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I think it was, once we knew it was a pattern, you can kind of look back and go, I don't know if that was the best choice, but at some point they made that choice. At some point they made that choice, right? And there's a couple things about it. You bring in these characters who hold this incredible emotional resonance with fans, mm-hmm. right? And in the universe as a whole, right? They hold this, this place of deityism. Right. Yes. They have this this view about them that people really look to. And um, well, they're leaders, right? Sure. They're leaders. So you've got these people who have this incredible emotional attachment to, you know, their fans have this emotional attachment to them. Right. Yeah. You can choose to bring them back in a couple of ways. 
But ultimately, if you're going to kill them, you have to make their deaths have meaning, right? right? If they don't have meaning, then it's just for shock value. Then it's just for a and plot point. Depending on what side of the coin you ended up with, that's what a lot of people thought Han's death was. The people who heavily critiqued it was they thought it was for shock and awe. And they didn't see or didn't want to see what you and I I remember walking out of the theater going like that shocked the hell out of me. But like, man, does that make Kylo Ren a more complex person? And now I know why Ray is going to be, you know, dedicated to becoming a Jedi and fulfilling her destiny because her, her father figure, the first like nice person she's met in a long time just died. And that's spurring her to want to make the, she's seen injustice in a new way and wants to be part of the justice in the universe. Absolutely. Yes. She, it, it's the event, Han's death, is the event that kicks off Ben Solo's redemption. Yep. Ray's Jedi path. Yep. Right. You could argue Finn joining the Resistance. Well, I, th- well, I think the biggest thing with Finn is, it, I think Finn has more of a crisis of faith because I think Han Solo's death more validates his insecurities. You know, yeah. Oh, if you become a hero, you just get killed. I mean, for sure, because, you know, his only <laughs> memories after that are going to the forest, losing to Kylo Ren and then waking up in a back to bag. Right. And I so mean, he's obsessed with protecting Ray because he yeah. thinks people need to get out of this war, Absolutely. not into it. Absolutely. So Han's death are three main characters, let's call them, right? Sure. Ray, Finn and uh, Kylo. Han's death has an effect on every single one of them. Mm hmm. And it wasn't just a, oh, he's in the movie for one scene and then dies. It wasn't just a, oh, he is this MacGuffin that people have to work towards, right? He was an actual character who actually had his story developed and continued. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, his story needed to end in his death because his death is what ends up helping to save his son. And the other cathartic thing we should also mention about writing good deaths is Han Solo's done everything he can. There's really nothing else for this character to do to affect the universe. And I think some people don't want to believe that. But, like, no, him reconciling, having his moment with his wife and realizing that they're the same. The only thing that's problematic between them is their son. And him doing everything he was capable of doing to reach out to his son. That's it. He's done everything that character can do from a storytelling perspective. I mean, obviously, he's a real human being. Like, yes, we want to see him retire, go on a beach, you know, have, you know, have sandals, whatever. But, like... As a story writing, we brought Han Solo back to fulfill his narrative purpose, and he does. Right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So, out of all three of these deaths of these heroes, right, when it comes to Han, mm-hmm. is there anything you would want to change or anything that you feel could have or should have been done differently or anything else you would have just liked to have seen? No. I, I So... Seven gets beat up a lot for rightfully so for being the, you know, nice photocopy of New Hope. And this is the Obi-Wan moment where the mentor dies, which spurs the characters to have to grow up because they no longer can have their mentor tell them what to do. And my thing is, like, the people who have the criticism of, like, well, Han died like a punk and it's stupid, right? Or just don't like that it ended. I'm like, yeah, the only people who could truly evaluate that is kids who were raised on the prequels and Clone Wars and then saw New Hope. Because if you liked Obi-Wan Kenobi and saw him fight Grievous and a whole bunch of other people and zip-zop around and say hello there to everyone as he battles people, I think you probably find his death in New Hope extremely unsatisfying from an action perspective. 
He's an old man. They poke sticks at each other a little bit in a very, like, methodical but not very action-heavy fight sequence. And in the end, he gives up. Yeah. So if you are thinking of as an action hero, you probably would be unsatisfied. But all of us who grew up on that, like, no, that's where Obi-Wan's entire life leads. Is to the true Jedi path of understanding that my death here is more important than my life. And same thing with Han. I think that's sort of why he forgives his son there. And there's no malice towards his son killing him. There's some cosmic, I think, understanding that Han Solo is like, this is what you need. I don't know why, but I forgive you because you need this. Yeah. That mumbo jumbo that, you know, Han uh, initially was not a fan of, right? We see him here in the last days of his life understanding a greater purpose to the universe. Yeah. Right. And that's because of Luke and Leia and his interactions and history with them and his interactions, obviously with his son. But ultimately the one final thing that I think I want to talk about is it shows how much he still loves and cares for Leia. Yeah. Right. The last thing, you know, the last words they speak to each other are, if you see my son, you know, if you see our son, bring him home. Right. Mm -hmm. And that moment not only makes what will happen with Ben that much more powerful, but it validates all of those feelings we as fans have of these people truly do love and care about each other. And in Star Wars, you know, a a franchise that is so... Love is really on the sleeve. You know, you know, there have, you know, Lawrence Kasdan has said before, and Irving Kirshner, you know, when you watch like... Uh, you know, documentaries about Empire and stuff like, oh, man, you know, when, when they kiss, that's it. They're, you know, a, a kiss is is a lot more meaningful in Star Wars than it is, you know, in like, our it's world. It's a romanticized version of Exactly. Love. It's very on the sleeve, right? Yeah. And so to really validate how much these characters still care about each other 30 years later, even though for whatever reason, right, whether for good or bad, we're starting the story here or everything's torn apart and... You know, for whatever reason, right, that's the story we're in, whether it's good or bad, whether you like it or not, at least we get to have that gratifying moment of these characters truly do care about each other. Mm -hmm. They came together, they had a son, they started a family, and unfortunately, through manipulation of the dark side, things went wrong. But they still care about their son and his redemption the same way that Luke still cared about his father and because mm-hmm. of that, realize that, you know, no, this person still can be saved. This person still does have good in him. And it is that familial love of Han and Leia that ultimately saves Ben. Yes. And so it's great to see it here. Right. And and again, I think a lot of this stuff gets weirder when you start taking the whole arc um, in the sense of like what I think I felt in, say, you know, 2017 coming out of the theater is different than what I felt feel now right both positive and negative just because like han's death has a we can see the whole effect of it now yeah for Um, sure and i think for some people that just has either doubled down their dislike of it or increased their love of it uh i think if nothing else i think the biggest thing i really like about it is it shows han solo being a good dad Mm -hmm. in the sense of the second you are preparing the next generation you start really realizing that your life is only for these kids, right? And so Han makes the ultimate sacrifice of his, literally his life for whatever his son needed to get out of that, 
And Han doesn't understand it, but like he knows it needs to happen and he has no problems with it because he would sacrifice anything for his son. And I think especially a lot of younger folks who don't have that connection to that type of weight of family, I think that's another prime demographic of people who outraged against this is not understanding why would Han Solo die? I'm like, because his son's life's more important than his period. There's no more yeah. interpretation. And I think a lot of the parents in the crowd were like, I, I died for my kids. Yeah, sure. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I would hope they wouldn't kill me. Like <laughs> I prefer to not have that. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. We've got uh, two other more funerals to attend. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get started right after this. beloved we are here to talk about the most arguably contentious death of the sequel trilogy um in episode seven we see the end of han solo which spurs into motion everything we just talked about in episode eight we walk through the the death penalty sentence for our hero luke skywalker as he expresses all the wounds he carries from his past all the inadequacies he has right now um and how that all culminates in a heroic sacrifice. Uh, my favorite bit being, he foreshadows this blatantly by saying, what do you think you're going to do? Take my laser sword out and stare down the First Order, which ironically, uh, yes, sir, you will. <laughs> yeah. There's also another great little bit of foreshadowing here that I just want to point out real quick before we get started. Yeah. Um, right before Luke gives the whole speech or during while Luke gives the whole speech about, you know, during the height of their power, the Jedi allowed Darth Sidious to create the empire and wipe them out. Right. The history of the Jedi is failure. It was a Jedi master who trained Darth Vader. And after he goes on the whole monologue, right. Ray's first words, her reaction is the galaxy may need a hero. Like literally right away, you know, she's only been on the Island a couple of days and she's already the one thinking clearly and basically, well, not only foreshadowing what will happen, but literally teaching Luke a lesson, which is what every student is supposed to do. Not only does it pay off really well in this movie itself, but we've seen it in the original trilogy where Luke basically teaches Yoda and Ben that, no, sometimes springing into action is the right choice, even if it ends poorly, right? Well, and it's double foreshadowing because, like you said, like Ray's like, the galaxy might need a hero. It's not necessarily him anymore. When she got to Octu, that's all she's like, all right, Luke, you're gonna I'm gonna give you the lightsaber and then we're gonna go save the universe. No. I'm gonna chase you to your house, I'm gonna tell you that's still what we're gonna do. No. Well, I'm all out of options. <laughs> <laughs> Time to get chewy. Well, because uh, she spends her movie realizing that she's the hero that she needs. Right. Okay. So obviously we know Luke's death happens at the end of this movie. Right. But there is a lot that leads up to it. So I think all we really need to talk about before we get to the end mm -hmm. is we need to talk about Luke's interactions with Kylo, right? The flashback scenes. Yes. So let's... Because one would argue, I would argue, this is setting up Luke's death penalty. Yeah. And what I mean by that is showing you how scarred he is 
and why he's this recluse yeah. and why he's irredeemable in his own eyes. Like yeah. he cannot deal with yeah. solving the problem she wants him to solve, that Ray wants him to solve. Right. So the first time Luke talks about this moment, right? This flashback of Kylo, right? Yep. He leads into it with, <clears throat> you know, I went to confront him and he turned on me. Leia blamed Snoke, but it was me. I failed because I was Luke Skywalker, Jedi Master, a legend, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, in that moment, Luke is telling us that my own hubris, my own big head got in the way. I thought I could become this superhero that everyone was telling me I already was. I thought that's what I could be. And it turns out I'm just as bad as the guys that came before me. Now... We realize that by exiling himself to an island and doing what he thinks is right, Luke is already being more heroic than the people that came before him by making that sacrifice. But right, he doesn't see it that way because to him, he has been a failure. He did not do what well, he, the expectations he put upon himself. And that's why Poetic eventually he has that meeting with Yoda because like Yoda's like, doof. I know. I screwed up. I didn't defeat Decidious. I let the Empire happen because I wasn't strong enough to kill Sidious in the Galactic Senate. Why do you what do you think I thought about on Dagobah the whole time? <laughs> like, I know what Exile's like, man. I was there. Your planet at least has like a house. Yeah. I had to go build mine with these two hands and the force. But <laughs> Yes. Now when I lost my place here. Sorry. No, no, you're good. That was that's all good. So during the first interaction, right, during that first flashback, Luke it, it does not admit that his lightsaber was drawn or ignited, right? All he says is that I went to confront him and he pulled the house down on me. Yeah. Right? That was it. And then when we get to Kylo's telling of the interaction, Luke has the saber drawn. He has this dark manic look in his eyes. He swings down at Kylo and Kylo just blocks the blow, right? We have a fun uh, Rashomon effect. Rashomon being the famous Kurosawa movie where it basically shows a situation from so many people's different perspectives that obviously you don't know the truth because you're realizing that truth is always points of view. Right, right. And that's exactly what, what we're having here. Thank you very much. Is that yeah. it is basically to Ben, what he is telling Ray is this is the truth. This is what happened. I woke up. My uncle was standing over me with his lightsaber Ready to drawn, kill me. And that was that, right? That was what he saw. And when we finally get back to the third instance of this, the, you know, sort of, if you will, the truth, right? The unbiased perspective of what happened. Well, right? Luke's more honest telling of his side of the story. Absolutely. So this is where I think it really hits home, you know, Luke's character a little bit here is, you know, I, I saw that darkness. I sensed it building in him. I'd seen it in moments during his training. You know, I looked inside him and it was beyond what I ever imagined. And basically in that moment, right, Luke is so shocked at what he's found and so shocked at his um, essentially what he interprets as failure. Mm -hmm. Right. He failed Ben by letting him go down this dark path and not realizing it. Right. That's what sure. he thinks. OK. So all of this pain culminates in him basically like, oh, man, for, you know, I think I can stop this. If I just do this one awful thing, this one act of the dark side, I can kill him and I can save all of these people from this greater dark side. threat. The world we live in now wouldn't have existed if I had killed him right then and there. Exactly. So this moment, right, Luke fails himself. Mm -hmm. And Ray even tells him, you know, you failed Kylo by thinking his choice was made. You didn't fail him by letting him go down the dark path. You failed him by essentially choosing for him. 
Yeah, and and basically, in the reads there, explaining the fact of like you created Kylo Ren. Yeah, you, right. Which ben, ben Solo didn't die there. You, you you took away his choices and made him have to become that thing to defend himself. Absolutely, and that just gives more credence to from the perspective of Ben. Yes, that's what he's seeing. That's what he feels, and that's why that moment can be so different for both of these characters, but still so real and so true for both of them, right? But this failure that we're seeing here is what causes Luke to go into his exile and brings him to where we're at now. And then ultimately, it's a combination of Rey, of Leia, of Yoda, of R2, of Chewie, who essentially convinces him that just because you're here now does not mean that this is all you're destined for, right? Just because you fail, just because you're on this island does not mean that you still can't be a hero, that you still can't pass on what you've learned, that you still can't be the Luke Skywalker that people need you to be just because it's different from who you thought you were. And I think we see the challenge of his monkishness of like, you came to Octu to escape from everything. Yeah. Why? Because, well, my destiny is broken. Okay. Why, why didn't you kill yourself? Well, because because you had something else to do. Is that why you built a little like library in the root of this tree with all the Jedi texts that you carefully place there? Like, well, there's all no, the, that I'm stuff sorry. was already there before he arrived. But he's protecting it and he's sure. investigating it and he's going through all these routines. What I'm trying to say is if he feels the way he's telling everyone he feels defeated, failure, I can't do anything. There's nothing more to be done. It's all doom, gloom and hell. Luke would not be standing there. Luke would have offed himself. Luke would have let that depression consume him completely. But he's here because he's trying to meditate on how to get traction on the problem. He's diving in to the deeper truths of the Force to try and connect with something going forward. And I feel that the arc on Actu is a lot of, I don't want to deal with this girl. She wants to be a trainer as a Jedi. Screw that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go back with her and be a general again. I'm not Commander Skywalker anymore. I refuse to do this stuff. But I'll show her that the force is bigger than she thinks it is. And then I'll tell her how to do like there's a destiny that's playing out that leads up to her pointing a lightsaber at him in a rainstorm and him telling the honest, most honest mm -hmm. version he has of Kylo Ren. And then when she leaves, he thinks he's failed again. He's like, no, it's like the Kylo Ren thing. That moment where she had to stand up to you and get the truth out of you so she could make up her own mind about what she's going to do with herself. Good work, teacher. You did it. <laughs> you got the lesson that she needed to learn, whether you knew you were doing that or not. This was your destiny, was to be here. And now you've got one last destiny, which is to give her the opportunity to take that lesson and allow that to allow her her opportunity to chase her own destiny because at the end of the day when he shows up on crate he's a distraction and he knows that and no one else knows that but he knows that yes 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 he is and all right well let's talk about let's just get into it then because, sure <laughs> because we've done enough setup so Essentially, hope is lost for the resistance here, right? The First Order is staring at their door. The The door has been blown in. 
they're down to just a smattering of people left, right? The heroes Leia made has... their last stand. It didn't work. They're coming back to the bunker because all of their speeders have been destroyed. Yes, they have. They've sent out their distress call. People have received it, but no one has responded. Responded. Leia even literally says the spark is out, right? The hope is gone. And then that's when we cut to Luke, you know, walking in the shadows behind him, the hood up. And there's the great moment with Leia of two really big things happen here. One, Luke is sort of immediately uh, absolved of his sins, right? He is immediately forgiven by from Leia and realizes that, you know, maybe I should have been here all along, right? You know, he goes to say, I'm sorry. And Leia goes, I I, I know you're sorry. You don't need to tell me you're sorry. I I, I know you're sorry. I know who you are. You, I I, I know. I'm your sister. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, I understand. I'm just glad you're here now with me at the end. And Luke basically says, you know, I I came to face him. And she goes, I know my son is gone. And he goes, no, 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 no one's ever really gone. Right. The subtext there being, I'm just not the one to save him. He's saying that. And the fun thing about this is also, it is neat to see Leia at a Leia, not presenting her most common character trait, which is the hopeful one. Mm-hmm. Which has been doubly reinforced throughout this movie, just reminding you of like she always sees that there's a path, there's a hope, there's some way around this. And even she at this point's like, I don't know. He he killed his dad and he's super ready to kill me, so maybe I'm wrong. And then Luke's like, No, 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 no. I, I was wrong. He there's something there. If if you know, I think at the end of the day, it's like if my grandfather if his grandfather could be saved by me. Who, let's be honest, Kylo Ren's bad, but Vader's worse. Mm-hmm. Um, if that dude can have a slimmer of, of hope of redeeming his soul, then yeah. Kylo will be okay. Right. And like you said, but it probably won't be me. And it's also a great moment for the overall universe and for the story and for fans who sort of say, oh, uh, you're telling me Luke redeemed the most evil guy in the galaxy and then just gave up on his grand on his nephew. He just gave up. Yeah, and literally here, as is the case with most things that people complain <laughs> about in the Last Jedi, it's answered in the movie if you just watch. Well, I'd also argue, no, 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 no. I'm not telling you that. I'm showing you that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm making you realize that it doesn't matter what you think the opinions of. This is what happened to that character, right? And you don't own Star Wars, so your fan fiction isn't more valid than this movie, because. Um, you said it earlier of like, he talks about himself as he was deified right. and he bought into that own lie and he's never going to let that happen again. Right. Which is ironic because he's about to let that happen again. But the reason is because he became a hero by not wanting to be a hero. He be a hero by doing the right thing when it was really hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, even in the rise of Skywalker, right? The, the destiny of a Jedi is confronting fear, right? Standing mm-hmm. up to fear, standing up to what you think you can't do by falling off the horse and still getting on again. That is the light side. That is being a good person. That is being a Jedi. And that is basically the lesson that Luke forgot of. One bad right. deed does not mean that you are every other deed you've done that is good is completely now null and void. Right. Right. And we're going to see that Luke basically does the same thing as Obi-Wan of he makes the sacrifice 
for the greater good. He goes and faces down the evil that the other heroes of our story are not ready to face. Rey cannot defeat Kylo Ren at this time. We've already seen her not be able to do that on the supremacy. So Luke needs to make up for that by distracting this First Order group so Rey can fulfill her destiny, save the Resistance, get off this planet, complete her training, and then maybe someday be the one who redeems his nephew. Yes. So Luke marches out there. <laughs> he does against um, an incredible backdrop. I mean, all of the shots. I, the Last Jedi is such a gorgeous movie to begin with. But then mm-hmm. all of these ending shots here of him walking out of the destroyed door on the bunker and you can see, you know, the light shining through. And then you see the the wide shot of him standing up against um, you know, a dozen <laughs> walkers and a spaceship and everything else that's pointing on him. And of course, you know, Ben's line here, Kyla's line is, I just want every gun we have to fire on that man. And it starts off great because it's just a single blast at first. And then there's a pause. And then all of a sudden it's just a barrage of laser fire. Right. We and it's s- just giant smoke pile building. Yes. Out. Yes. All of the, the salt from the planet's floor is up in the air. The, the red ground has been revealed And it's this great moment of this is where Kylo's at right now. He is so angry and so evil and so down the dark path and so obsessed with killing this man and obsessed with killing and with the dark side that he can't see what is right in front of him. Because we, you know, we as the audience, I mean, obviously in the moment probably didn't know, but looking back on it, right, Luke does not leave footprints. Luke, oh, sure. um, you know, moves and looks different than he did it's before. It's the success. Right? It's everything makes sense when you watch it the second time. You just weren't looking for those clues the first time. Exactly. Uh, and admittedly, this is also leads to maybe my favorite joke in the entire sequel trilogy. What's that? After all this barrage. Thousands of rounds have been launched at this guy. The smoke is coming up and there's just a crater where he must have been. Hux just looks over. He's like, do you think you got him? (laughs) I love that line because it's like it is such overkill. And then the best part, dust clears. Brushes off that shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. And Kylo loses it. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Kylo comes down. To the planet's surface mm-hmm. after throwing Hux into a wall. Yes. <laughs> takes off his cape. And let's right. also say this is also important because he's shot all the loads. So all the First Order people are like, this is some Jedi mumbo jumbo. I don't know what's going on. So there's a reason that no one needs to support Kylo Ren as he goes motto a motto with the Jedi because, I don't know, we shot everything at him. I don't know if there's anything else we could do. So I guess Kylo's going to have to figure it out. Like, but from a storytelling perspective, it is nice to know that there's a reason the whole army standing around is like, well, we already tried. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now in there, you know, talking about these characters mindsets, you know, Ben is saying, did you, you know, did you come here to apologize to free my soul or save my soul or whatever he says? And Luke's line is just no. <laughs> it's just like that alone just shows how confident one character is, right? How confident Luke here is and how confused Ben is about the about everything mm-hmm. right and of course seeing a confident Luke is what everybody wants to see right right and Kylo's getting driven batty because he doesn't want that at all mm-hmm. and then Luke you know they they have um <clears throat> they have they have a few moments you know here together and one of those just being Luke simply saying I failed you Ben I'm sorry and just having a chance to say that in person because remember they have not spoken or seen each other 
since that or night. had any interaction since that night when you know basically Ben destroyed the temple or and Luke tried to Luke kill him. Think so, right? Yeah. So you know they had this moment of basically this is Luke's first interaction with him of saying, "Listen, I'm sorry. I was the one who made the mistakes." And even though it's just kind of washing through one ear and out the other of Ben, right? It's important that our hero admits his fault. It's important for Luke to say that, even if Kylo's not in a position to hear it. Absolutely. And of course, Kylo is just focused on, you know, the war is over. I've already run. The resistance is dead. I'm going to kill the last Jedi and all, you know, all of that ah, stuff. I'm going to kill you. The yeah. Jedi will be dead. I already killed Snoke because I'm awesome. Yes. I I told Hux I'm the supreme leader. So that's fact. Okay. The girl, I'll get my other half of my lightsaber from her eventually. I win. I win. Luke's like, you think that's what's going on? <laughs> like everything about Kylo Ren is him much like the Han scene screaming at the top of his lungs of, I am a powerful bad man. I have the power to do anything. And people going, is that true? And him going, I don't know, <laughs> but I want it to be. I really want that to be true. And the fact that you guys are not reacting to me like the evil dark Lord to being nice and stuff really is making it hard to feel I'm the evil dark Lord. <laughs> yes. Okay. So obviously Luke has one of his most quoted lines from the film. I think of, you know, amazing. Everything you just said is wrong. Every word you just said is wrong. Right. Yes. And this is the hero moment where Luke reveals that, no, the, you know, the rebellion is reborn today. Uh, I won't be the last Jedi. The war is just beginning. You know, we are, um, we, well, I have given hope back to these people. Right. And he knows it too. In this moment, he knows that and he's what spelled he's out doing, what he knows he came here to do, yeah. which is, distract and make sure that spark doesn't go out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, Ben has the follow-up line of I'll destroy her and you and all of it. And Luke has the best, you know, the, one of my favorite lines of strike me down in anger and I'll always be with you like your father. Mm -hmm. And it is a little satisfying here to see Luke be, to have his thumb so well on the pulse of what is bothering Kylo and to basically be able to look at him and see and feel through the force what the issue is with Ben and Kylo, you know, Kylo here in this moment of you killed your father. It tore you apart. You know, the axe split you in two, as Snoke said, right? That's not a lie. That's not Snoke. That's not hyperbole. That's not hyperbole. That is literally what happened. Yeah, he's got a scar right here. <laughs> literally, right? And so Luke is in this moment basically saying, you know, Luke, here's what Luke has told us. Kylo can be saved, but I'm not the one to do it. Mm -hmm. I failed. I'm sorry, but I'm still here doing what's right. That's what makes me a hero, right? Mm -hmm. And we get to see Luke do something incredibly powerful as a Jedi with the force projection. Yes. Right? Because after all of these words are thrown and a couple of swings are taken... Kylo runs at Luke, completely slices him in half, and realizes then that this Luke is not exactly what he thought it was. He's a space hologram. Yes. Um, and, and I think it's also, we're echoing yet again the Han death in the sense of, like, here is another adult from Ben's life getting him and realizing that in many ways their mechanic of death is his path out. Yeah. And that much like his father, Luke's like, no, I, I failed you, and I really care about you, nephew. I I want you to be whole again, and I know this is part of the process. And probably like Yoda and Obi-Wan thinking that Darth Vader, the only way to stop him is to kill him. I'm not saying I'm, like, 
full on the redemption arc for you, but I know that this is your only path out. Yeah, unfortunately, that's probably true, right? And Luke, as the hero, knows how difficult it is to bring someone back from the dark side once they've already started walking down that path. Um, we will cut to Luke here on the rock on Octu, right? He opens his eyes. He falls out of the sky. He pulls himself back up onto the rock. Mm-hmm. And as he's, you know, staring out at the binary sunset, he fades into the force. Right. And it is also worth pointing out that, you know, while all this is happening, you know, we're seeing, for example, we're seeing Poe leading the resistance out of the mines, right? That's you see happening. Ray pushing the rock, right. using the force to open the gateway for them to get on the Falcon and right. escape. Like all of that is happening while Luke is doing this. You know, Luke's- we're seeing it as different moments, but it's time dilation. These things are happening at the same time. So as Luke is fading away on that rock, that is happening right as Ray is getting onto the ship. That yeah. is happening right as Ben is kneeling in the command center, holding those dice. You know, when they disappear. That's that moment of Luke passing on, right? Right, because his projection ends at that point. Exactly. So you've got these sort of moments that are happening. We're seeing them in an order of A, B, C, D, but they're really all taking place concurrently. Right. Right. And so what I think is really interesting about all of that is, you know, the Ray that the little conversation that uh, Ray and Leia have here of, you know, Luke's gone. I felt it, but it was with peace and purpose. Right. Just kind of hammering home that point of Luke was the ultimate hero in this moment. So just to kind of recap that, right, Luke, from a spiritual standpoint, right, from a force user standpoint, from a Jedi master standpoint, knew what he needed to do to be successful. Right. He gave the rebellion a chance to survive. Yeah. And a chance to move on. He inspired the next generation of Jedi, Mm -hmm. saved the life life of his sister and, you know, her cohorts. Yeah. Right. And was able to do something extremely powerful with the force that we had not seen before. Something that was unique to him. Right. Sure. Not only complete mastery of a lightsaber. Right. Just basically being able to the most powerful person we've seen so far, Kylo Ren, basically being able to just dip, dive, duck and dodge around all of his swings. Right. Which he has to do because otherwise Kylo can't see the jigs up. Absolutely. But. Those he are can do it. He can do, right? <laughs> yeah. He can do in real life, too. And so we get to see him be powerful with the lightsaber. We get to see him be powerful well, with the Force. And most importantly, we get that reminder of a Jedi does not try to go out and kill people. That is not what they're here for, right? So this is just the perfect lesson of Luke being more powerful than his opponent, beating them without ever having to swing a blade. Adventure. A Jedi craves not these things. Exactly. And that, to me, feels incredibly rewarding. So you have this this character death that is emotionally rewarding, that is rewarding to the story, that works well in tandem with all of the other characters and all of their other arcs, and should have a big, big impact on the villain going forward. Now, I agree with you completely, obviously. But to play devil's advocate a little mm. bit, the, I think the problem a lot of people have with this was, one... Luke isn't actually there. And yeah, with this, well, that, see, look, that's, look, look, I think look, that's... Look, I'm playing devil advocate because yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. 
but I'm saying he's not physically there. He does not physically reconnect with his family and stuff, right? Because it is a forced projection. And we found that those things are somewhat solid because obviously Kylo gets wet, uh, you know, and, you know, there's the connections between them. And we're going to see that really sold hard in the next movie. The fact that this power can actually allow the transposing of matter from one place to another, right? Oh, you're assuming that the force FaceTime calls and force projection are the same power? Yes. Okay. Don't you? Because I think that's no. the whole point is that's the... I, I think... Okay, I'm going to say that I think it has to be that way because I think that's what makes Luke's projection so potent is the fact that Kylo says at the very beginning, you couldn't be doing this to Rey. It would kill you. Mm. This is one of... This is top tier level nine spell for us Jedi. Like, to... like. Kylo doesn't think he could do this. So then I guess the next question is, can Luke only do it because he's a dyad with Leia? Well, that's fun. I wasn't wasn't going. I mean, here's the thing. It's an incredible show of strength. Right. It is a Jedi power apex level. However, if you didn't buy into that during the course of the film, I think that's where a lot of people have the issue is the fact of he's a hologram. He's not really there. And I don't. I don't care, but I think that that criticism is understandable because there is an X-Wing on Octu. He could have came here and done the exact same thing. He didn't because the writers wrote a a power in which they said, we think this is more more realistic that he's not going to pick up his laser sword and actually fight Kylo Ren or use a force bubble to protect himself from all those laser blasts. This is the way that Luke can extend his power back into the universe. This is what makes us sense to us in the writer's room as we ponder how we're going to have Luke have a last stand while also being this broken man. Yeah. Right. And I think that's where the hero worship gets its biggest wind in its sails is the fact that, If you're a fan of Luke Skywalker and you love him as the action hero, his last physical act of action is trying to kill his nephew. And then everything else that is like forced battle meditation. So I think that's one of the biggest reason we get the controversy and why there's contentiousness around this is because a lot of people felt he needed to physically be there to have the cathartic moment that Luke invested himself in this situation. Now, I again really want to state I am only giving voice to some audience members who might be in that camp and I'm trying to say sure. that is a valid criticism. The way we watch the movie, we think thematically the ending as shot is better based on all the information we are presented in the script up to this point. Yeah. But I don't think it's a totally invalid position to wish it had gone a different way but then again we all feel that about the sequel trilogy in different places of we wish it went a different way right i agree Uh, a couple things about that one luke did not try and kill his nephew right he thought about killing his nephew from kylo's perspective well the point is he had the intent of murder and then luke tells us it fades like a shadow yeah well, Ray, Ben didn't think that's why he dropped a house on his uncle, because he thought if his uncle was left to keep going, he would kill him. Why? Because Kylo is informed by those dark shadows all the time, and that's what causes him to go and kill all For his sure. friends after this. So what I'm trying to say is, I like the Rashomon-ness of, that is Luke's final admission. It is still not the objective truth, because we don't 
get that. We still have Kylo versus Luke. Luke says it passes like a shadow. I don't know if the house didn't drop on him. Would it have just been over? Luke needs to tell himself that. Luke needs to believe that. Luke mm. probably does believe that. Yeah. But Kylo Ren doesn't. That's why he still wants to murder this person because he thinks Luke showing up is maybe his end. That's why he doesn't go down and confront him out of a personal glory like how Vader goes, I sense Obi-Wan. I'm going to go find out where he is on the Death Star and have our 1-1. No, he's happy to shoot every gun at Luke because this man could be the specter of death for him. Yeah. Because my uncle could have killed me. It's only through my power he didn't. Oh, for sure. For sure. I agree with all that. I am just talking about from Luke's perspective and point of view yes right? for sure he right because we're talking about his death Correct. and the it's the, a fleeting shadow arc, and arc of there his was no true intent right he did not swing at kylo right he did not put his lightsaber <laughs> up against his back and ignite it in a dark way right looks like no 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 if i wanted to kill ben he would be dead it, i mean yeah to, to a certain extent i think that's <laughs> I'm a fair. jedi master i'm the luke skywalker i think that's fair yeah um shoot there was something else i wanted to say too all right well let me i'll just go through it beat by beat then Okay. If Luke had been there. Right. Right. And let's just say for the sake of argument, he had to die at the end of this. There was no other option. Right. And I think, wait, real quick. That's the other criticism that I think is also valid is the fact of when Luke dies, you're just like, oh, so this is a thing. Our our heroes are going to die at the end of each movie. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Because it did create a pattern at that point, especially again. It did. Especially when, weeks later, we lose the actual Princess Leia and realize that, like, well, if there's any illusions, Leia is going to survive Episode Nine. I don't know how they're going to do that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, yes, completely agree. So it, I think a lot of people were just dealing with the true depression of the fact of your original trio of OT heroes will die during yeah. this, this trilogy. So yeah. anyway, so Luke, so Luke has to die by the way right. they decided so to write So if he does, right... Would Kylo have striking him down been more satisfying? Would Kylo have beating him in a lightsaber duel? So if he's physically there, they have to fight. There's no way around it. Right. Right. They're drawing lightsabers. Luke is using his green saber instead. Right. Presumably. So if he's there, he has to physically fight him. Mm -hmm. And so then at that point, one of two things happens. Either Kylo kills him Mm -hmm. or Luke beats him and somehow still dies. Right. Um, I don't know. It's the Here's Superman thing. thing, right? The thing. It, it, Rose is being dropped off a ledge and he has to save her. And in that moment, Kylo's able to swipe him with the lightsaber. I don't know. Right. Well, here's my thing. I think, it, I think the script really informs that everything that happens had to have happened the way it happened. Cause right. I think it's a very, very tight script with right. four moving gears that all move in sequence right. for the different characters arcs. Right. That being said from an overall narrative perspective of the sequel trilogy and what the sequel trilogy was trying to accomplish i think you could make him a much more dangerous character of he kills snoke in a way that's easy to read as as it's not just selfish like he wants a better first order than snoke wanted right Right. like we see the whole anakin of like my empire will be better right he's ready to kill the emperor i mean he just murdered children for the emperor but now he's suddenly ready because he's confronted with the reality of what he's doing that no i could be it could be cool come on guys it could be cool like He's got all that momentum, and if he ends up fighting his uncle 
and ends up sort of killing him the same way he killed his father, right? Lightsaber goes on. Luke's like hanging over his one shoulder, dying just like his dad did. And Luke just like turns a little bit to his ear and goes, see you around, kid. Like, I think that would have maybe created a similar impact in the sense of repeating the beat, right? I killed my dad and then I hesitated and couldn't kill my mom. And now I've killed my uncle, which means now I'm going to kill my mom. And if I kill my mom, then I'll be complete. Then I will be whole. Yeah. Right. There is a pathway to write that story that I do not think the script of Last Jedi leads to. But there are many different permutations of the sequel trilogy that could have gone different ways. All oh, of us have our sure. investments in things we don't. And I always like to acknowledge that I adore Last Jedi. I think it's the tightest script writing for a star Wars since new hope. I think it is one of the most beautifully shot movies in the entire franchise. And I really like the changes, but that's because I was ready for a different flavor of star Wars. I was excited to have a new era, just like when we got the prequels where the deck chairs are all rearranged. Yes. It's similar stuff, but this is a different era and no, of course it doesn't act like that other era because that's its own thing. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who hate the prequel trilogies to this day because it doesn't match the OT. There's a lot of people who are younger than us that the OT doesn't do much for them because they're invested in Clone Wars and stuff like that. And where's the troops? Like, there are different generations of Star Wars, and I learned the hard lesson with Rogue One of, and that's okay. There are many, many permutations of this universe. Some are written directly for me, like The Mandalorian is written from my fan fiction ideas. And some of it is written completely against the grain of what I care about or like about Star Wars, like Rogue One. At the end of the day, they're all valid. So the criticisms of the sequel trilogy, I am not trying to say that I agree with them. I just want to give them voice because if you were personally upset by the emotional reaction to Luke's death, that's okay. But realize that when you get frustrated with it, that is a personal frustration of your emotions and how you wish the story was different than it is. And what I mean by that is, this is what a group of filmmakers decided they wanted to do with this set of action figures. And if you don't like that, it's okay. You don't have to like it, but do realize that it's not poorly made. It's not coming out of nowhere. It was thought out probably more than a lot of your arguments. <laughs> and it is valid with the way the story we were given is. And when we get to the next segment, we talk about anything involving Rise of Skywalker. We need to keep that in mind <laughs> because Rise of Skywalker is the episode nine we have. And it is how the story plays out. And like I said in the last segment, I'm like, oh, yeah, Palpatine is behind everything at all times. I have to keep that in mind. Would I have written that? No. Is it invalid to write that? No. No. No, you can write that, I guess. <laughs> anyway, what yeah. I'm just trying to say is like, there's a lot of Star Wars and there's a lot of Star Wars we're going to love. There's going to be a lot of yeah. Star Wars we like. And the bigger the universe gets and the more risks they take, yeah. the more we're going to have people who say, nah, I can't follow you on that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not into that. That's okay. We talked about this, I mean, probably a year ago at this point, but basically the benefit the the upside to Disney buying Lucasfilm is we are getting more Star Wars than we ever would have gotten before. Correct. And we all have to be able to come to terms with the fact that not all of it is going to be stuff that is for us or stuff that we're going to like, right? I mean, the most obvious example that probably the most people who listen to this we could point out and say is Resistance, mm -hmm. right? 
most people our age did not watch Star Wars Resistance. Or Including they, us. We got through like season one and, and we're just know, late. We need to get through the rest of gonna it. It's going to happen eventually. Uh, right. But that's okay that that show wasn't for us. It doesn't make me angry that that show exists. It doesn't make me angry that I watched that show and I'm like, man, there should be more flicks in here because that's the best part of this show. Give well, the, the more I hear chicken. about Resistance, the more I realized how many probe droids we missed that exist in Resistance. That's been bugging <laughs> me deeply. But... But but you're right. Yeah. There's there's more Star Wars than we can all consume now, and that's new and weird because we used to have a fairly. If you really followed novels and comic books, you could pretty much catch up with everything happening in Star Wars. Yeah, and I think that is weird for us, and I think it's also weird for other fandoms to look at our fandom and go, "What are you guys doing over here?" Because like, <laughs> if you're in the Lord, if you're into Lord of the Rings, guess what? There's like a zillion books that were written by like Chris Tolkien and stuff that like. It's not just three books and a Hobbit sequel. There's more to that fandom. There always has been. And most people haven't read all of it. Right. Uh, their, their return of the king, you know, the, the three of the Lord of the Rings is their OT. It's the lingua franca where we all go. Well, I mean, that's obviously where it all starts. Right. Or Star Trek. You know, you could love the next generation to death and go, what do you think about the original trilogy or the original series? I've seen most of those episodes and that's perfectly valid. Yeah. We're over here in Star Wars going like, no, it all has to be stuff that I love and get really into. Yeah. Like, I had that with Rogue One. A bunch of people had that with Last Jedi. The people who like Last Jedi had that with Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Not universally, but close. Yeah. Um, you know, we, Star Wars is bigger than any one of our interpretations of fandom. And Luke's death is, I think, just an emblematic symbol of when people left that theater, you either went, man... Luke went out to allow this great, bold new era of Star Wars to happen. Mm -hmm. These kids are talking about it with their action figures. That kid can lift a broom with his mind. The Force is truly awakened now. Or you came out of like, they killed my hero and I don't know why until the next movie. <laughs> and I don't know if I want to see the next movie because I'm not excited to go to this new era of the Star Wars. Do they yeah. even have like original trilogy stuff in there? Is Boba Fett in there? Is Boba Fett in this in this bright new universe they're talking about? Like, I get it. Like, yeah, you know, it, it's not the prequels. We're like, is Boba Fett in there? Well, Jango Fett, he's close. Okay, Boba Fett's in here. It counts. It's real. Uh, Mandalorian, Boba Fett, real. Yeah. I'm just saying Boba Fett is the thing that we all can agree that if he's there, it's real Star Wars. <laughs> no equivocations. Boba Fett not appearing in sequel series. Just saying, sequel trilogy, no Boba Fett. I'm not saying that's the problem with the films, but I'm not not saying yeah, that. I know, I know. It's it's hard to look back on and think about what could have been, right? That's mm -hmm. ultimately what you're saying here is we can't yes. spend our time focusing on what could have been, right? Do I think the sequel trilogy maybe should have only started 10 years after Return of the Jedi and our heroes should have been, you know, this should have been another chance for them to be the leads. And then episode nine should have ended where episode eight ended with a cast oh, of I characters see. that we've grown to love starting a rebellion on their own, going off to, you know, start their own adventures, you know, because the end of episode eight did feel like more of a Return of the Jedi than an Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, right? Because there is so much potential. And then we get to episode nine and we realize that everything that it was building to is just like, 
well, what if we took the first order and made them sort of like secondary? Well, here's and what if we did, you know, it's like, we'll, so we'll, we'll get to that in our next segment as well, we talk about Leia's yeah, death and will. the situations have done that. But again, at the end of the day, maybe there's a different world where eight was nine. And and we leave the trilogy with like she's a Skywalker, she's got her cool yellow lightsaber after Luke has made his great sacrifice and Kylo Ren, you know, I don't, I don't know how you make eight literally that, but we end on the catharsis of eight of right. we're going into a new she's right. starting Jedi, they're going to be different Jedi, like just right. like Luke. We right. know Luke's going to go start an academy because well nothing in that movie of Return of the Jedi tells us he should go start an academy, but we know we know that's what he's got to do. We know that like. Ray should have to go do that if episode eight is where the movie ends. But we have episode nine and Ray goes, I don't know what she's going to do. She's she's got a pretty blank canvas. I don't know if she's going to go start a Jedi Academy. And that's exciting, except for the fact where no one's particularly happy with Ray. (laughs) Rise of Skywalker, both directions. And I don't know. I want the characters of Ray, Poe and Finn to keep going. And I don't know if they're going to. And we left them in a great place to keep going at the end of episode eight. We did. We did. And I think to me that all t- I'm just going to kind of put a bow on it and say sure. it would have been nice to have more time with our character. You know, th- these three characters on Luke and Leia to, you know, have the moments that fans wanted to have to have the good vibes that fans wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And you can still give them each a poignant and powerful death. But they were trying to tell an OT story and a new sequel trilogy story at the same time. Right. Rather than letting it be just one or the other. Like your point of the characters, Luke and Han and Leia should have just been in the background. Right. But instead, we literally set up the Force Awakens of Luke has run away from it all. He's given up on things. He's in exile. Sure. Oh, right. That was always the thing. With Ryan Johnson's mean because he made Luke be this just wash his hands if he doesn't want to at any adventure. I'm like, Kazan and J.J. Abrams made that because they state Luke ran away. Yeah. You can't undo that from seven. Right. We find Luke in episode eight where we told you he would be in episode seven. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So like all of that kind of stuff, I think if they had just been more, if if they had taken the time to give these three characters kind of the space they needed to breathe and to give us their swan song, their finale, their epoch, whatever you want to call it. Right. If they had given them that time and then ended a potential seven, eight, nine with, and now here are these new characters of Ray, Finn, Poe, Ben, and you've grown to love them. And now over the course of a trilogy, you've seen Ben fall and you've seen Ray come into her powers and you've seen Poe become a leader and you've seen Finn become convinced that the resistance is the right place to be, which Mm -hmm. is essentially what episode eight does. It shows us all of these things, right? Yeah. We're going into potentially, you know, if episode eight had been the end, we're going into the next trilogy fully on board with, wow, here's Ray, here's here's Poe, here's Finn, here's Ben. Here's who these characters are. Now it's time to let them shine in their own film. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think a lot of fans are complaining about is it was half of one thing and half of another. And, and my philosophy is even with that, that's not what I would have been very dissatisfied with that. But that's primarily because well, I already think these three characters get robbed enough of screen time by yeah. the old. Because Oh, I agree. I, my, my, I, my opinion is like, if you didn't, if you thought that's the way it was going, I ask you to, you know, stop taking the knife out of your hands and stop stabbing yourself. Because what about episode one, two, and three? A new era, separate trilogy told yeah. you it's going to focus on the old characters. Yeah. I agree. I, the thing that told you in episode seven was the crawl. 
the opening. Yes. The big dialogue by Han. That's what told you it would focus on the old characters. And, right. and, and you know what? You've I'm got... not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying I understand why fans feel a little bit robbed because they got half of something old, yeah, half you're... of something new. Now you're the devil's advocate. Instead, yeah, I know. Instead, well, that's because oh, I'll save this for my next segment. But um, last night, I think I finally came to terms with Rise of Skywalker. Oh uh, wow! I that'll, be, that'll be exciting. I know it's huge, right? Um, I, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, something you have told me, which I try to keep front of mind on on literally a lot of things. Like I don't know if you understand how profound this is to me, but like, love the Star Wars you have, yeah. not the Star Wars that doesn't exist. Yeah, and no matter how much you like. This headcanon Star Wars right. you cre- came up with, it doesn't exist. Right. So, you know, I can go and rewatch like an, a maquette of like Colin Trevorrow's like episode <laughs> nine and going like, I'm not sure if it would have been great, but it would have been better. <laughs> like, but at the end of the day, like, yeah. I really like a lot of Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. I think out of many of my friends, I am the softest about like dislike about it because I'm like, it made the universe bigger in yeah. a lot of ways. And that is what the movie should do. Yes. Because if I don't care about the movies or I don't care about the characters or the scenarios or the situations, my universe got bigger. And so now Din Djarin yes. can go and visit that crazy burning man on that planet now because that exists in Star Wars. It's accepted. And because it's accepted, all other people can benefit from the, what that represents. And so same kind of thing absolutely i really can be appreciative looking at the sequel trilogy as a whole that our three main characters you know han luke and leia got their chance to have endings to their stories that were not only satisfying thematically but had a greater impact on the galaxy as a whole yes i think they were all dignified justified as written they had personal meaning not only to the galaxy but to them Right. Ultimately, the original trilogy is a very small story about a small group of people coming together, fighting for what they believe in and changing things for the better. Right. Right. And so when you have these sort of somewhat jaded, somewhat experienced, just generally older characters. Right. Mm -hmm. Doing different things. It is really great to see that. Yes, those events change them. Han can, you know, love again now, even after everything that happened with Kira. Right. Right. Luke can be a hero, but still be down to earth, still be the farm boy that he originally was. It doesn't have to be a choice of one or the other. He can be both. Right. And Leia can continually fight for what she believes in, no matter how many times she's pushed back down the hill. And let's go wrap the bow on this and let's go talk about her demise. Absolutely. So this is the one that I think it hurts the most because it wasn't just burying a character. It was burying the iconic actress who gave us that character. Um, I yeah. Think, I think the hardest thing that faced Rise of Skywalker's birth into this world was Carrie Fisher passed. Yeah. And they went into this saying, we're not going to digitally recreate her. You know, right. we're not going to take the Rogue One approach. 
we're going to basically go in. We're going to use footage that was shot and scrapped for The Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. So we're literally going to use trash well, to recreate her. and Scraps. I, I, yeah. I, I understand. Well, yeah. I, I understand, right? I understand. I think the reason I'm saying this is we need to give it. We need to look at it through that lens. Yes. Because if we don't, if we just look at it and say, oh, what does this look like on paper? What is the dialogue that is said? What is the emotional resonance of it? What are we seeing on screen? I think we're all pretty much agree this is the most lackluster of the three. But that's not really fair because of the situation surrounding Carrie and the filming of this movie and the fact that, yeah, you have to come up with an entire new script that works with this footage that you already have and that, you know, will work in honor, Carrie, and that will make sense in the story and make sense with where we're going. And so sure. it's an impossible task is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, I, I like looking at the Colin Trevorrow treatment and Trevorrow and looking at what would have been episode nine had these yeah. trains stayed on the tracks. Right. Yeah. And my constant belief system is while that's. That script has problems and it needed to have some things adjusted as it went to existence as well. You can see where Carrie fit into that movie and how, mm, unless we digitally recreate her, we cannot yeah. put that back into this movie. Yeah. And my whole thing is, I think many of the flaws that exist with Rise of Skywalker is how quickly that movie is actually made. What I mean is like, it really is only in production for about 18 months. Yes. And and the second you you... Look backwards and say, well, we can't film what we were going to because we just made a promise that it'd be creepy to recreate her, you know, uh, so shortly after Rogue One did that, people were skeezed out and now she's dead. And now it feels extra creepy that she's alive in this movie she's not in. You know, they make that decision. And the second they do that, they're like, all right, well, we have to change Carrie's part. And I mean, since we're in here. And then the committee starts tinkering with yeah. it and, and and adjusting things, which makes it so that a whole bunch of chefs get into the kitchen and try to cook a souffle while working on the parts they want. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying it's specifically her, but like a Kathleen Kennedy is going like, can we not make the people who liked Last Jedi mad at us? Is there a way we can is there a way we can sell kids sneakers with this movie? <laughs> you know, like, is there a way to sort of heal heal it a little bit. And then JJ was like, you know, there's a lot I wanted to say in seven. I didn't get a chance to say, so I'm going to add some stuff. And then there's still this drive to add new elements because it's a new star Wars, even though we may have already run out of room to add new elements because of how much we have to finish in this film and yada, 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 yada. Well, it makes sense to add new elements. Like why have holocrons when you can create wayfinders? Dude, Wayfinders are cool, though. They're just, like, Holocons adjacent. Like, yeah. I, now I like the idea of, like, well, we've got a lot of crystal tech. You've, you've seen the Fortress of Solitude in Superman? That's how the ancient Sith and Jedi were, man. They could do anything with crystals. All right. I will not joke about Chris Terrio for the duration of this topic. That's going to be my goal, is to not try and complain well, about it. Well, here's it. the thing. You have um, many, many problems with this film. But the treatment of Carrie, I think we can both kind of say, is when you remember the time, and the place that this movie was made, that's probably what would happen. I often say one of my favorite examples of movie making of the getting to that point of love what you have, not what you wish you had. Right. It's 1993 and we're going to make a live action with real human actors movie of Mario Brothers with this budget. And everyone who says that movie is trash, they're correct. But I ask you, 
you could not do better with the circumstances they were given. <laughs> yes, a Mario animated film in 1993 would have been great, but you weren't given that choice. You were given make a live action movie. Yes. So same thing. You can't delay episode nine the three years it needs to actually break that script and figure everything out. Yeah. No, there's a clock ticking and the mouse wants his yeah. cut. So and ultimately we're going to make this. Maybe the biggest problem with this whole thing. And again, it might be, we will remember, never truly know. And the point is, but in their circumstances, that's not on the table. That's not a real right. option. Right. And so with and remember, that, remember they already did get more time. It was supposed to release in May. It didn't release until December. So they did get more time, right, than they initially thought. And they were editing it up till I believe, it was two weeks before it shipped. It was the final edit was actually done. Yeah. So I'm just saying, this sucker came in hot because there were many problems to finishing this film. Yeah. And you can see it in the stitching of this film. And. Carrie's part is weird and muted because, as you said, we're using the off takes and the unused material from a movie where there's a reason we cut those parts out and left them on the cutting room floor. Not because they're terrible. I don't think any of the deliveries are bad. I think they're all just, oh, that's not for this scene. Or the actors are acting against this line and you can kind of feel the pushpin where this is permanent. Everything around it we can change, but we can't change what she says here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a great oh Mad Libs. There's so many say, things I want to say, but I'm not okay. going to because most of them are mean. Here's the thing. Okay. There's a Mad Libs where they put every line of carries that they had and said the script has to duck in and yeah. out of these. And once you use one, you can't use it again. You know what I mean? We only have one or two takes of each one of these lines, and this is what we have to use. Okay. So let's talk about, all right, in the last year, it's been a year since The Last Jedi, right? Yes. Leia has lost her brother. The resistance is down to nothing. Right? They hide out. They find a few allies. They realize that all of their friends and associates are being snatched up, killed, or imprisoned by the First Order. Right? Right. Meanwhile, she's trying to train Rey, who is keeping things from her that she's having these dark side visions. Right. All of this time, Leia is sort of slowly fading into the Force, right? She's losing the energy, right? She's losing the gumption to continue this life because her husband's gone, her brother's gone, her son is fully evil, and she's out of resources. And and no one responded to her call. Right. So she still has hope, but her physically, she's just... Well, her hope's in the other people. Right. It's like... Poe's going to have to become a leader. Um, uh, not remembering. Uh, what's her name? Rose? Is that mm. you're trying to get at? No, no, no. We forgot about Rose in the script. Um, well, sure. No, uh, the one played by Carrie's actual daughter. Um, oh, Connix. Connix. Yeah. Connix. These are the people that are going to lead the new force. Ray has to be the new Luke. So I'm training. Like, she's right. already sort of thematically Shh. in the story. The next generation is going to have to carry this torch because my generation's dying off. Right. <laughs> she's preparing for that transition because yes. as a force user, she can feel that it's coming. Right. I think it could we agree that's where we are here at the beginning. I think that is right. OK, fair enough, because Resistance Reborn doesn't really talk about it enough. Um, and of course, my argument is Luke and Leia are dying in the force, just like Ben and Ray. And so that's why she's dying now that he's gone. But anyway, we're obviously that's just my head. Dyads are weird and new anyway, so yeah. we don't know all their mechanics. That's my head cannon. But anyway. That's fair. Um so, right, Leia's slowly dying. 
And we get this moment about two thirds of the way through the movie where uh, Ben and Ray have just encountered each other on the remains of the second Death Star. Yeah. Right. And there's this transition that transmission that comes over the radio. Leia drops the headphones and it cuts to her. She's sort of got this like staring into the abyss look. She's just kind of staring out at nothing because she's feeling internally what happens. And, uh, you know, of course, Maz knows what's happening here somehow. Leia knows what must be done, R2. To reach her son now will take all the strength she has left. Mm-hmm. Sure, Maz knows that. Okay. Okay. Well, remember, so, Maz is our only last left wise, maybe connected to the Force <laughs> character left. Yeah. Ray's the only one other one in, that we've seen who could say that line. So I understand why Maz gets it, especially because J.J. Abrams loves Maz. Yeah. Uh, sure. Okay. So <laughs> as the fight on the Death Star goes on, right, we cut away. We we cut away from, from we yes. just see uh, it's Billy Lord, you know, is walking Leia over or whoever the body double is playing Leia here, walking her over to this dark room, right? Right. The fight goes on on the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Ray is getting beaten. I mean, yes. there, there's no other way to. Ray is defeated here. She's overpowered. She's tired, and Kylo oh. is about to go in for the killing strike. And admittedly, we've already seen that Kylo's been sort of marginalized in the first order. Yeah, he's the supreme leader, but now there's a whole council of admirals who are sort of like undercutting him. We've seen General Lyons is kind of like, I don't know if we should really follow all your stupid teenage bullshit, and like you. Uh, all your teenage angsts, um, you know, and, and in the end, I feel it's very much like Kylo Ren's like, no, if I kill the girl, then I will finally get what I've been wanting to work. Like Kylo's success is always a carrot ahead of him. And so at this point, this is him trying to get this all done, right? Yeah. He's like, no, if you don't join me, you have this chance to join me. If you join me, things will be great. If not, then I have to kill you. <laughs> yes. And so my question here for you to start is, in this moment, because this all happens kind of simultaneously, right? Yes. So Ray is, you know, we've seen she's on the ground, she's blocking his blows, but she's, you know, she's worn out, she's tired, she can't go on anymore, right? We're getting a teensy tiny echo of Luke using the baseball bat maneuvers on, on, Absolutely. on Vader. Like Ren is just throwing all of his weight and Ray is just holding on to enough blocks to not get killed right then and there. Exactly. So as Ray is essentially, she's like dropped her lightsaber. It's deactivated. Kylo goes in for the killing blow, right? He has his lightsaber up in the air. He's going to swing down and kill her. Right. Why is he not supposed to take her to Exegol? But anyway, wait, what? Why is he about to kill her? Why is he about to swing down and kill her when he's trying to take her to Exegol? Rage. At this point, he's full of complete hate and rage. This girl but has see, been stopping I, him from his destiny. He's more in control here than I think he's ever been. Oh, I don't think he's ever in control, ever. Like, okay. ever, at all. This, to me, but is... But just 30 seconds ago, he crushed the Wayfinder, saying, you're only going to Exegol with me. And now but here he is about But do you think that's because he really wants to take her to Exegol? Or, yeah. do you want, or are you just thinking, like, if I crush it, then you'll have to join me. I won't. God Dang it, no, don't make me kill you. Because he wants to take her to Exegol to kill Palpatine, because he wants them to fight Palpatine I think, together. I think he believes that as much as Anakin saying, like, I'll kill Palpatine. Yeah, it'll be my empire. Like, 
I don't think so. I think he crushes the Wayfinder in a fit of anger to just make sure that she only has one path forward and it's with me. And every time she resisted, it just makes him more mad. Why won't you just be with me, Ray? I get that. But in The Force Awakens, we see mm-hmm. him be truly angry, right? We see the, the pinnacle of his anger, right? And then in The Last Jedi, it becomes more refined. It becomes more of a point of, I'm going to kill Snoke. By this film, Do he's you walking think... through a typhoon stone-faced. No emotion on his face. And Adam Driver is a good enough actor okay. to get you that can... subtext there. I believe you, but I don't... I... I didn't interpret it that way because because to me, it's like this is the same guy that says, do you think he got him and throws his best friend against a wall just to say, shut up, dude. Like, I don't think Kylo has the maturity that you are giving him credit for. And I think Adam Driver is a great actor and it does have that maturity. But I, I think in these moments, I think it is still Kylo Ren deeply, profoundly wants to become the Dark Lord. He wants Rey to join him. He is back at that moment where he's like, extending his hand in Last Jedi of like, come on, join me. Don't you see? I killed Snoke so that we can do this. We can build a better universe. Our dyad needs to be complete. If you want to read into that, like, let's go. Right. And this girl just still won't believe him. And so when he's at that final inflection point, his final moment of where he's going to either, like you said, come to his senses and say, you're coming with me now that I've defeated you completely or out of complete rage, kill her because of his frustration that's when his mom goes don't do that yeah so (laughs) the reason i talked about that so in depth sure is because as his lightsaber is up in the air Mm -hmm. we get the moment of you know it cuts to a shadow that's shaped like leia yes and it says ben right he hears it he feels that we see it in his face he drops his saber ray leia (laughs) ray Grabs the saber as it's falling and stabs him through the stomach. With yes, it. because Ray is sure that this man was about to kill her. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. So, at this moment, Leia is essentially to send out one final message through the Force that Ben and Ray both feel. It causes Ben to be distracted, mm-hmm. letting Ray stab him, right? And um, then we also see that after that moment, right, Leia's hand falls off the side of the bed, basically, kind of signifying right. us that she has lost all of her life at this point. So that her last <clears throat> effort is to try that one last yeah. time at a moment of yeah. inflection. Son, please don't be evil. <laughs> yes. Now, the only word she speaks here, right, the only word we hear on screen is Ben. Mm-hmm. How do we interpret this? Do we interpret this that she literally had enough power to get just that one word to him? That he heard that one word echoing in his head and then realized his mother was gone. And that's what, you know, helps convert him back. Mm -hmm. Or does she send a whole bunch of, I know you're still my son. Come back to us. I know you can do this. But because Carrie's dead, they didn't have that recorded. And so it's all just meant to be. Well, but I, I think you know. I think what you're talking about, we do get because he sees his father after this because Harrison Ford's alive and we can rehire him to act. You know, we can give sure. a little bit of that extra energy that Carrie might have been presenting herself if that was available, right? Of reconnecting. From my interpretation, what it basically comes down to is Kylo Ren is at that inflection point. Ben is just enough for him to come to his senses and go, okay, what am I actually trying to accomplish here? And at the point, he's like, maybe I don't want to kill... Oh! <laughs> He's getting stabbed. Yes. And Ray is basically like, 
ready to run away from him. And he's just standing there with maybe a mortal wound. He doesn't seem to be really focusing on that. He's just going like, he, he's at the beginning of a different movie that starts. You might be asking, how did I end up in this crazy situation? Well, I'll tell you, it's a long story, yeah. you know, cause he's just, he is finally able to realize that all of his effort is always going to end with him failing like this. Yeah. You know, and I think it could either just be his mom just said Ben because that's all she needs to say. Mm -hmm. She just needed to poke him at that exact moment to catch him off guard so that he can learn the lesson he needs to right now. Or it could be, you know, the whole flood of memories. But I think the biggest thing I take away from this is it is an echo of Han and Luke's death in the sense of Ben, I don't hate you. I forgive you. Yeah. You can be better than this. I believe in you. Yeah. Like, that is the underpinning of what all these adults he hates are telling him is like, we understand why you hate us. That's fine. You can be better. We believe in you. And I think that's, I mean, that's the point, right? That's the point of yeah. Kylo Ren's sort of redemption arc kicking into its third gear here is the idea of like, I'm realizing what I've been doing to people. I don't want to kill Palpatine for my own selfish ambitions. I want to kill it because of him. Because it's the right thing to do. <laughs> I I want to go join with Rey and help her fight all these things because she's going to need help and it's the right thing to do. Like, this is the turning for his fulcrum of him realizing all these lessons he's been hammered with the last two and a half movies yeah. and him finally being in a place where he can reflect on them, internalize them, and understand what he's been fighting this whole time is his true nature. Yeah. So... As this moment happens and as Ray, you know, reaches out and heals him mm -hmm. and then runs away. Um, also, obviously, you know, she's not only physically healing him, she's symbolically healing him because we see his scar on his face also goes away. Right. It's also her moment of, I forgive you too. Like, yeah, you were about to kill me and I hate you, but I'm not going to leave you here to die because I'm not that person. You might have been, but I'm not. <laughs> And Ray and, and Kylo's like, I would have never healed you. Oh, maybe I should have. Maybe I should be a better per. Oh God, is this what I've been doing to people? I need to be a better person. But like, uh, we see Ray as the hero because again, in the face of fear, in the face of a murderer, a person she deeply has lots of hate for because of Han Solo's death and what he just did. She's like, but I'm the light sider in this story. I have compassion for you, even though I have every right not to. Yes. I have feelings for you that I want to see you become the better person that your mother, your father, and your uncle talked about. I want that for you. Even if all evidence says I shouldn't. So we cut back to Leia's body underneath a sheet, you know, on yeah. a table. And the entire resistance is sort of uh, somberly standing around her, kind of in shadow. And uh, Maz has the line of, you know, good, goodbye, princess, or whatever it is. Good, goodbye, sweet princess, or whatever. Um, and that, for a moment, is kind of the end of it. But then we get Finn mm -hmm. and Poe and Chewie returning to base. And, you know, Finn and Poe's reactions are really, really good. But I just want to call out Eunice here and, and, uh, and Chewie of just his reaction is great. You know, the way he, he's yelling out, he falls to the ground. Um, it was the first time that I felt this part was emotionally powerful. Mm. Um, you know, when we first saw Rise of Skywalker, uh, 
the Leia's death scene and this kind of subsequent stuff. Really, the Han stuff got me a little bit, but you know, the, the Leia's death well, scene, I was just so fed up with the movie at this point on my first watching and sure. literally getting physically sick, like, literally <laughs> in, in the middle of it. Well, um, not caused by the movie, just literally being you in were, the, yeah, like, you I were was Ill. like a couple hours away from being legitimately very ill. Yeah. Just was not in a good headspace. And this scene just emotionally didn't do it for me. Um, but upon, you know, what almost chewy, a year and a half later, the Chewie stuff really, I think, finally did get to me. And the thing with Chewie is it's it's the same thing with Han. Chewie is letting out the bellyache that we're feeling about this whole situation right. in a way that allows us to express and feel like, yeah, no, this is wrong. You're right, Chewie. This shouldn't be happening. <laughs> and and again, not shouldn't be happening because this is poorly written, but like should be happening is like, I don't want Princess Leia to die either. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And so to have this moment where um, everyone can kind of just stop for a yeah. second and just kind of, you know, appreciate Leia's sacrifice, um, I, I think is important and I think is, is really, really good here. Because this sort of Leia's final, you know, sacrifice or death here ends up sort of culminating when we cut back to Ben, yeah. who is now standing on the edge of the Death Star, overlooking the ocean, kind of contemplating what to do with the rest of his life, because now he's a totally different and changed person, right? And we hear from, you know, behind him, we hear Harrison Ford's voice. And so we get this exchange of dialogue of, you know, hey, kid, I miss you, son. And, you know, Ben's first words are, your son is dead, right? And this is where it's similar to the dialogue, obviously, from The Force Awakens. But Han's line here is, no, Kylo Ren is dead. My son is alive. Mm -hmm. And that is a very important distinction between what their exchange was just a couple movies ago, right? Han is basically saying, no, I recognize that you are not just Ben, that you are both of these people. Mm -hmm. But that evil side of you is gone now. You've let it all out of you. It is time now to move on and let it go. And yeah, Ray, Ray stabbed Kylo Ren to death and healed Ben Solo. Exactly, exactly. And of course, Ben's reaction to this is, no, you're you're just a memory. And I love that Han's line here is your memory. Come home, right? Just showing yeah. that, yeah, this isn't something that's physically happening, but it doesn't matter because this is a way where you can show what's it. Inside someone's head in a way you can't yes. show. My ultimate issue, when I really think about all this, my ultimate issue with The Rise of Skywalker is that it's a Legends novel without narration, right? You can make a Legends <laughs> okay. novel work when you have certain subtext that a novel provides or the internal monologue of a character yeah, provides. You... But in a movie written by the guy that wrote Batman versus Superman, that doesn't come across. This is the one chance where you have, because you have two characters talking with each other, right? Because well, you, you have said, this in, dialogue. In, if this was a legend novel, you would have Ben staring out in the ocean, and in that moment of peace, voices came into his head. He remembered his father. Exactly. Like you said, this is internal monologue made manifest, which has the niceness of acknowledging I'm your memory of like, oh, this could just be Kahlo having some blood loss and having a little hallucinogen. Yeah. Um, or it could be the force. And it really doesn't matter for our story. The important thing is Kylo Ren rekindles this thought. Yeah. And it helps mentally yeah. heal him yeah. to do what he has to do next. Exactly. So that's what I, I, it may not have sounded like it, but I'm giving this movie a compliment here. I'm giving Dario yes. and JJ a compliment of, hey, 
great job. You did it for 2% of the movie. Now go back and do it for the rest. Give it subtext and, you know, all that. But it was great to see here in this moment because it was a really smart way to work around not having Carrie, right? Yeah. Um, Because like I said, in a different version of this world, you might have had Carrie delivering these lines, but actually it was a force projection or actually communicating, you know, the force FaceTime or just in his head like Obi-Wan was like... But it's nice to have Harrison Ford deliver that because I think it also in some ways is better than if we had Carrie in the sense that I like that it is Kylo Ren making peace or Ben making peace with the father he killed. And how I think we've always seen him hesitate around his mom because he still cares about his mom. But he has some real daddy issues. And it was nice to see him sort of make peace with that. For sure. It is super gratifying uh, to see this here. It is. How should I put this? Well, here, let me get sure, sure, let sure, me sure, get sure. through the rest of his dialogue first. So, you know, basically when he says, you know, your memory, come home. Ben's line is, it's too late. She's gone. Right. Coming right back to where we were in The Force Awakens of, I want to, but I can't. Right. Right. I don't have the strength. Exactly. Your mother's gone. But what she stood for, what she fought for, that's not gone. Right. Yeah. And then he ends it. The last line that, that Han says, basically, is he just says, Ben. Right. He just says, like, you are my son, essentially, in that one word. You are my son. That was Leia's last word to you, literally, just a second ago. She said your name. And all of this is just for the purpose of reminding you that you are who you want to be. You can choose where what you go next, no matter what's come before this. And so if you want to be a better person, a different person, this is your chance. And then, of course, this goes back in the line of, I know what I have to do, but I don't have the strength to do it. Right. Right. And then this time, Han just says, you do. Right. You don't need me to help you. You don't need me here. You don't need your mother. Everything you in your, your life uncle. has led you to here. You have the strength to do this. Just you. Mm-hmm. And that is... I think a really important lesson because so many people can try and teach you things. They can try and influence your life. They can try and tell you what they think is best for you and all of that. But unless you truly believe in it, it will never actually get accomplished. It will never actually happen. And so this being inside of, you know, this being a memory, this being literally Kylo's internal monologue here Mm -hmm. versus a force projection or a vision or whatever I think does make it more important because this is literally, you know, that scene in empire or return of the Jedi when Luke is getting electrocuted and Vader is just looking back and forth between (laughs) the emperor and Luke. Yeah. This is what was happening in his head at that moment is this scene. Well, you obviously in a different way. I love the one YouTube video that is just like everything about Vader and his inflection point. Like someone cutting it into that sequence of where, where he's going like, wait a minute. I think I've been the bad guy this whole time. You know what? Until you attacked my son, I was kind of fine being your lackey. But now I'm thinking about it. I think you need to be stopped, sir. <laughs> I should have done that 20 years ago. But here we are. Absolutely. But I think the the powerfulness of yeah. it is it's that own character coming to the realization them, themselves. That in, moment of internalization. The, yes. I know this and people have told me this, but I didn't believe it until now. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what makes this such a satisfying, redemptive moment for Ben Yeah, is because he is essentially getting there. Even though he's had all this help from Leia and Han and Rey, he is ultimately getting crossing that final threshold on his own. Well, a lot of Kylo Ren's writing in these movies is the stress that a lot of younger people feel 
and I mean younger as in actually literally young people and us watching a coming of age story and a, a you know, monomyth like us remembering our younger selves. Kylo Ren is just trapped in expectation. Right. Whether it's his mom, his dad, his uncle, his good friend Snoke, like he has been condemned. And this whole movie is him trying to live up to Palpatine's expectations. Right. He became Supreme Leader and that wasn't enough because he found out the Supreme Leader has a Supreme Leader and I should follow that guy because he must know what's going on. He can get me to where I want to be. And this is the final thing of like letting go of all those expectations and just realizing like the only person I can be is the one I choose to be. All those expectations might help inform who I could be, but they can't define me. I have to define myself. And that's what he does in the last of his life is he spends the rest of his time doing what ben solo wants to do and accomplishing the goals ben solo wants he's not really doing it for the resistance he's doing it because it's right right he's not killing the palpatine out of vengeance he's killing him because it's right right he's not helping ray ray because he wants to like figure out a way to get back with ray and, and then make, make them be super friends after this maybe but like no he's doing it because it's the right thing to do right ben is finally listening to what he should have been listening to this whole time, and he's just finally gotten to the place where he can hear it properly. Right. And thanks to his parents, and thanks to their meaningful emotional deaths, not just generic action deaths, right? Correct. He is able to get to that point and kind of um, finalize the arc of our three main heroes here. Basically, the Skywalkers, and by extension Han Solo, right? Yeah. Are... A, in a way, the force basically sacrificing them in a meaningful way that allows Ben to grow into the person he needs to become. Basically, all three of their deaths service turning Ben Solo into the hero. Yeah. Right. And in the finale, the life of the Skywalker clan, which ends with Ben... His death ends the bloodline Yeah, is carried on by Ray, the other half of this dyad and the two Skywalkers watch her go on to yes. the sunset and yes. see the legacy of themselves, their families, their children. In the case of Kylo, like we see the cathartic end of this is not how we wanted it to go. This is not, we wish, you know, all these things, but all of this led to this future and this is a brighter, right. better future than we started with. Right. It, it's hopeful. It's hopeful, yes. It's satisfying in a lot of ways. And we should also point out that, you know, when Ben fades into the Force, Leia also does, yes. right, simultaneously. We should point that out. Um, and I think it's also worth pointing out that Leia's death, Han's death, Luke's death, right, ultimately, in their own ways, some directly, some indirectly, also end up saving Rey. Yes. Because if it wasn't for Ray healing Kylo because she believes he's a good person, mm -hmm. because she believes he can be redemptive, right? I, I will stand by the fact that I think if there had just been a couple of lines of dialogue at the end of, you know, it could be really simple of just Ben, like, literally talking to her corpse. She doesn't even need to act against it of, uh, you know, you saved my life in more ways well, than one. Let me give this back to you. Let me, you know, let me let me bring you back or whatever. Let me give this to you. Or it could literally I, even just be thank you. It could literally be two words can convey, you know, that, that I appreciation. The, I think the other interpretation I give you from this though, is Ray has always been doing what's right. What her heart tells her in the moment. 
and she's the opposite of Kyla of zero expectations. Her most common line is she's nothing, <laughs> right? But from whether it's saving BB-8 because she thinks it's the right thing to do, stealing the Falcon, which she thinks is the right thing to do, right? saving Han Solo, going to Maz's castle, fighting the First Order, all of this is just her following what she thinks is right. She's not expected to do anything. Right. And so at the end, like, that's sort of like what they were fighting for. They were fighting for freedom. And Kylo Ren is caged inside his own expectations. Rey is always the one that we wanted to. And we wanted to, to be blunt, at the end when Rey leaves, yes, all nine of these movies, we can finally go to a blank canvas. Rey is the only character that has to continue from here on out because everybody else is dead. <laughs> you know, like it really, really, really leads to a very open place. Yes. That is what our principal OT characters wanted for the universe anyway, is to be able to have their progeny and their next generation choose the way they want to go. Yes. And Luke screwed up because he tried to make it like the old ways and realized, well, they screwed up too. So I guess I'm not surprised that the Academy fell apart. Leia went back to being a, 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 you know, in a losing fight, right? Han went back to smuggling. And all of them were learning the fact of, like, we were better people when we were together. Um, and rekindling that so the next generation has that shot. Anyway, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree. It By ending the Skywalker bloodline completely right mm -hmm. it opens up possibilities for the future there's no doubt about it um all of these characters you know uh, had an impact on who ray has become and the lessons that they taught her are something she will carry forward um you know presumably permanently right right and by letting each character have an impact on the story physically as well as emotionally with their deaths I still think is the absolute best thing you could ask for mm -hmm. by killing off all three of these characters. Right. Correct. Uh, so in that regard, I think all of these endings feel relatively satisfying or at least as satisfying as they can be. Yes. You know, unfortunately the Leia one I think is a little bit of an outlier, but as it's we said only at the top. because of circumstances. It's yeah. it at the top. It's the best it's it's an impressive yeah. ending considering yeah. this material they had to work with. Yeah. Why didn't they you you know they they made a point of saying this multiple times and you can see it in the acting and everything but why only use scrapped footage from the Force Awakens? Why not also look into the last Jedi footage? Was there just if none because it was me, a better script? I would argue that probably the biggest thing is there's probably not as much material from yeah. last Jedi to reuse and yeah. then the other problem with last Jedi is different costumes, different things. And remember that Leia is out of most of Last of the Jedi in a coma. So she's not as, there's not as many places she would have had dialogues, right? Like think about like, you I agree, get your head at, but she I don't also think has a lot more dialogue in The Last Jedi. So my guess sure. would be that there were more takes and more whatever, but competent script, competent director, there probably also, wasn't as much. Also more pointed, I think, yeah. conversations, you know? Right. I don't think there's anything from filming the get your head out of your cockpit line that you could re reimagine as some yeah. other line for people. Whereas in Force Awakens, she's saying a lot of empty, open platitudes that you can stitch things uh, back sure, onto. For sure, for sure, for sure. And I, I agree with all of that. I guess you maybe made my point without me having to say it of just, it's a shame that we didn't get Pete Carey because Carey was 
in every way so much better in The Last Jedi. And let's be honest, Episode 9 would have been a tour de force and her movie. Right. We just don't live in that universe. Right. It's just, yeah, that's all I'm saying is it's frustrating that we saw her come do such a better performance in The Last Jedi than The Force Awakens that we didn't get to see that carry over. And instead, we just took a step backwards. And that's, know, and, and that's, that's the, shame. and again, I think that's the reason why for most people, the last Rise of Skywalker yeah. is not as cathartic as it could be because it is trying to, for lack of a better term, it's the same reason as you can tell a serious finale of a TV show where they had always been planning to end up there. Yeah. And hey guys, we got canceled. So with the last amount yeah. of time we have before we have to close this soundstage, we need to try and wrap up everything that we can. <laughs> and sometimes you end yeah. up with a lost ending. Yeah. And sometimes you end up with something really good, like The Good Place. Like, you can't, you, it's not a battle you can win because they did not set themselves up to yeah. finish nine the way they meant to. And like I said, when they made the decision to react yeah. to Carrie's death very publicly, they locked things into yeah. place that they could not change going forward. So then the, my only other question for you here to wrap this one up yeah, is, yeah. should she have just died in the crawl? Would that have been better, worse, different? What are your thoughts? Different only because it would have been felt as bad in the sense of Nine is still supposed to be her movie. Yeah. And it's no way to write those storylines without her there. So with her gone, yeah, you have the choice to either stitch it together like they did, write her out in the crawl, or recast. Yeah. If now, you... the darkest part of me says I would have recast. And the reason is because I think characters should be bigger than movies because I like James yeah. Bond. I'm okay with, that's not the same person. I'm like, yes, because they're deceased. Of course it's not the same person. Uh, it's like fears I have about Black Panther 2 of like, I want the character T'Challa to continue on, even though his actor has unfortunately passed. I think the character is bigger than the actor, and I understand the sadness of that. Yeah. But that's how you get like Liars of Skywalker movies that feel temporary and of their times because they are not assuming that people will be watching this 30 years from now. They're assuming we need to make things right for what's happening here in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, if you'd asked me in November of 2019, I would have said, no, just kill her oh, in yeah. the crawl. I would have said that was the best way to go. Um, after seeing the movie, I think probably the better way to go. I agree is recasting mm -hmm. and, but then that, I but mean, I don't think there was a, wait, wait, and I don't think that was a real option at the time. Yeah, this movie wouldn't... If this was the exact movie, but with Meryl Streep or whoever playing Carrie Fisher, you know, it <laughs> it wouldn't have been better. And also... Because the script was a joke from the beginning. You know, it wouldn't have been better. Uh, so, like... It, well, again, it would have been called Trevor's script if we just recast. Oh, well, I mean... Yeah, no, and I so we're in a whole right, different dimension, right? Well, I'm saying There's no way to predict. Movie, <laughs> yeah. I, what I'm saying is the Leia moments aren't good. Her being They're serviceable there at, at best wouldn't have made them better if they had not changed. Now you argue, right? If she had been there, they wouldn't be what they are. So it's just a paradox, right? It's a snake eating its own tail. Well, we're back to we must love the Star Wars we have right. because those Star Wars that we might want cannot exist. Right. But I guess what I'm saying is, if this had been her part and she had been in the movie and alive, this would have been. Awful. Oh, I think they would have recast awful. because she said, "Like I'm not showing up for that." I mean, maybe right. <laughs> if that's the only lines you're going right. to give me after everything yeah. I just did. No. Right. Yeah. I mean, all we're saying is we're giving this a pass because of the situation. But if this was on its surface, it would be terrible. Right. Are we on the same I page think, on that? I think the best way to put it is this is the best Leia death that yeah. we could have expected with all the 
stuff that had to happen to create it happen. And I'm happy that it's more dramatic, effective, and um, worthy than it probably has any right to be. I think they solved the problem with the tools they had at best that they had. And it's one of the least shameful parts of this film. Yeah. Okay. I can agree with all of that. Okay. I can agree. With I think that. we can leave on that, that Leia's death has enough dignity considering the circumstances. Absolutely. All right. Let's Same wrap. Page. Let's wrap this thing up. So that's how our story ends. The doom and gloom, the dirge that is talking about a bunch of death and all the ramifications. Um, some, you know, we had some sequel yeah. bashing in there. We, <laughs> Even though we tried not to, we kind of said we weren't going to do, but we have to because we got a lot of problems with that film. I will also say for the record, I'm patting myself on the back for how hard I bit my tongue. The many opportunities I wanted to just tell you in our last segment, I'm like, I don't believe in Ray Kylo and them getting together at the end. He had to die. He had to die because that's just a feeling I have, but it really doesn't have anything to do with us. So I just want to, I want to say that because I need to get that off my chest. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. Um, I mean, you know, I fall into the, I think he should have just been exiled to Octu camp, but he should have lived is your biggest thing. Well, one way or another, he should have had dialogue after he became Ben. That's really when you like all of my grief he should have had dialogue. After he talks he through him. actions. He kills all of his friends in the Ray Club. He <laughs> he falls down a chasm, then gets back out of that. He chasm. does say Al. To be fair, he does say. Uh, I, that's ultimate. Like Darth Vader, ha, every hero is given the every every person <laughs> who is walking up, the tightrope between the light side and the dark side. Yeah. gets their monologue moment. Anakin you, you and Obi Wan have their moment on Mustafar. Vader and Luke have their moment when Vader removes his helmet on the Death Star, right as he dies. Ben and Ray were robbed of that redemptive moment, in my opinion. You wanted that scene where Anakin is on fire and he says, "I hate you," and Obi Wan going like, "Then you are truly lost." Like that moment of we understand why these two characters are separating from each other. Or you want the cathartic of he redeemed himself, yeah, so I want the it, Luke. Don't worry about saving me, you already have. Yeah, the you Vader example is more accurate, but uh, what I'm saying is both main characters leading up to this, both Skywalkers previously, got that moment. And Ben doesn't get that moment here because everything that he's feeling and thinking is all only shown on his face. And thank God they got a good actor for this character because if they hadn't, this would, I mean, it would be nothing. It, it would, There would literally be nothing here. Because I would argue, and I think we're both on the same page, there's a lot of acting and action that he is voicing yeah. after that moment. It's just not words. And it's all subtextual. It's all subtle. It's all right. face movements and actions. And coming back to without narration, that is, I think, not appropriate in a Star Wars movie. But, right, Luke doesn't just look sad when Vader tells him he's his father. He dramatically yells, no, that's impossible. Well, I think right? we can really because say... It's 
uh, play. It's this operatic thing. Well, well, that's the thing is Rise is very easy to argue is the most modern film out of all of these. And it's made from the same mold as most modern films. And it's not as trying to be operatic. It's not trying to be what the previous films were in many respects of, to be blunt, a bit slower. And I'll be honest, I think the entire sequel trilogy, and I do mean like all of it, could have used with being a little less fast and a little less intense just because modern films and their action make such heavy, super violence. It's a little hard to believe the characters are like, I don't know, half the time I'm just like, so, and the next scene, and they're standing in the ship with their ears bleeding because so many explosions and cool stuff happened, they all lost their hearing. All of them, you know, like, yeah. it's so bombastic. And yeah. the ending of Rise of Skywalker is mind-numbingly bombastic. Yeah. I'll send an electrical storm that'll wipe out all of these ships, uh, but they'll get better. It's okay. Like, yeah. so much that's wrong with Rise of Skywalker is a disappointment to Star Wars as a film te- film language than it is, like, there are Marvel films just as good, bad, and quirky as this. Like, there are... The DCU hasn't made many movies better than this one. Like, oh, for sure. You know what for I mean? For sure. I think it's the context for of sure. we, we wanted, like you said, we want more of that space opera. I want Kylo Ren to be super dead. He's obviously dead. There's no way that he survived any of this, but he still has time to give his last soliloquy about how he feels about this. Right. 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 Like, Vader is dead. There's no point in, he, Luke's got to be like, Dad, I got you to the shuttle. We went down like five elevators, three flights of stairs to get here. I got to push you 15 feet. Stay with me, Dad. Yeah, we're already here. But why do we not do that? Because this is opera and it's melodramatic. And it's time for Vader to say, look, I know this place is going to blow up and I could probably do this on the shuttle when we're safely away. But the time is now. I don't get to leave the Death Star alive. That's thematically important. <laughs> Think of how powerful it would have been if Ben is just sitting there expressing all of these things he's feeling, sobbing over Ray's dead body, yeah. decides to bring her back to life, knowing full well what it's going to do to him, and then having that one moment where he can just say whatever, whether it's a kiss, whether he said, right, whether, you know, she wakes up, she grabs his hand and he looks at her and he, he says, I love you. And she says, I know. And then he dies right there. Whatever the moment is, they could have literally shared two or three words, right? It could have it could be anything. It could be thank you. It could be um, whatever. Right. He could have. Yeah, had- yeah. You could have had like, I don't know. I hate the idea of Ray having any interest in Kylo. I just don't think it's there at all because they've met like four times and all of them, they've been trying to kill each other. That being said, yeah. like a, something that's ambiguous, like so much of that movie is on every ship that's presented in the film right. where they're like, well, we're not going to say yes or no because. Right. Anyway, right. we're just not going to say yes or no to any ship in this entire movie. Um, but I do, I do think you could have had a thing of like him just saying like, I did it for you. Or, right. or you could have Anything ha- like have that. a you live for both of us or Anything whatever. Anything like that would have been would have made it better. And, and I think, like I said, I really think that when you see that final thing of yeah. them doing that, I think the reason the line's not there is because the filmmakers don't want to close the gap on either interpretation. Well, but then they have them kiss, so I don't agree with that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, you know, if my grandma was on her deathbed, I'd probably kiss her. That doesn't mean I'm like anything more than I'm not becoming romantically involved with them. I'm just honoring the dead. Mm, 
I dude, don't know. I walked Ray... out of that. I walked out of that theater going yeah. like, yeah, they're not together. Duh. I nothing in that film has dissuaded me from the fact of like Ray is not that into Kylo. They're friends. <laughs> like that's where they end up. I don't see an ounce of romance to that. Yeah. And that's okay. There's an entire toxic fan base of Kylo Ren people. Not you. I mean, the really down the well. The ones like doxing Adam Driver's wife and trying to cause a divorce so he can date Daisy Ridley so that we can't have it in Star Wars, but we can have it in real life. Those psychos, which if you listen to our podcast, I love you. Please contribute to us. You're still psychotic. Um, the, You know, there is a group of people that decided that's what it is and it needs to fit that mold and vice versa. You and I have no objectivity of it because that would be cathartic to you and me having them just be friends is cathartic to me. Yeah. And so... Of course I see the movie supporting my claim because that's how I see it. Um, but I think what you're saying is absolutely right of in a better world, we would have that more operatic ending. And to be honest, both those characters would talk about the situation. Right. Oh, for sure. But to get there, you'd have to have less time with Palpatine. You'd have to have less time. With and there's already so little. Well, what uh, I mean is like that movie, yeah. I think it's, it's primary flaw. Okay, we're just gonna wrap this up. Primary flaw about <laughs> Rise of the Skywalker. E- Rise of Skywalker. I still keep adding the other. Well, there's a thought just at the beginning. Yeah. Um, the thing with Rise is the reason I think it's so hard to satisfy is because there's an entire extra movie that wasn't required by seven and eight, stitched into nine. Yeah. The whole quest to find the wayfinder is an entire Indiana Jones plot that is bolted onto the requirements of the story to finish. Now, the way you do that right, in my opinion, is Return of the Jedi, where you have the mini-adventure to get the Wayfinder at the beginning, and then you have the dramatic payoff of all all the storylines afterwards, if you're going to do that. But my opinion is the biggest problem with it was they came in, they broke the script open again, And instead of following the bones of that script and trying to make something that all the stakeholders had already signed off on as this is what we want to do with episode nine, rather than trying to keep that as together as possible and just rework the things that reality is making them do and end up with a script that at least is, in my opinion, paying off the thematic threads that go from seven to eight to nine. Their choice was now that we have it open, let's futz with it. Let's do what we want to do. Right. Let's break this down. And I think at some point they lost track of who they were making this movie for, which is why I don't think there's anyone who's ever going to say Rise of Skywalker is my favorite Star Wars. And it's going to be because it doesn't serve any particular one. If you liked seven, it's not really the sequel to seven. If you liked eight, it is certainly not the sequel to eight. If you liked, you know, the original trilogy, it's not filmed like the original trilogy. If you like the prequels, you like the more flashy action beats. Cool. This is on overdrive. And most of these actions don't have the weight they have in the prequels. Like this whole movie is a compromised thing. And I think it's okay to appreciate the great things it added to star Wars. Yeah. Got Babu freak. I love Babu freak. I like you, you get some really good world building. You get to see like the, the force teleconferences and stuff be what they, they are. You get all these great things in this movie, but it comes from the most compromised film out of the nine that have been made. And I can agree with that. 
Yeah. And with that that. in mind, I think much like how people maligned episode one, because no one was ready for a true film in Star Wars, where one man said everything is going to be the way I want it to be. And there's no one here to veto me. And maybe someone should have been, (laughs) you know, I think in the same way that Phantom Menace doesn't feel as flawed as we go further and further down the pike as it becomes one ninth of a franchise, not one fourth of a or fifth of a franchise or no one fourth. At one point it was one fourth, you know. I think as time goes on, we see where Ray's character eventually goes. We get the High Republic. We get the Mandalorian era. We get more and more eras of Star Wars. And Star Wars gets bigger and bigger and bigger that you can kind of go. Not like episode nine, but dyads are cool. I hope they work with that piece of the story. That would be neat. It had quicksand. And ultimately, isn't that what it's all about? Well, like for me, like I hate Rogue One. I really, really have huge problematic issues with that film. It has shook my fandom to its core. God, I want you wings and more stuff. They're really cool. Yeah, all I'll say about all of that, because I agree with a lot of what you're saying, is Disney now has taken a few swings at doing a extended universe, legends, spinoff, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. They've taken a few swings. First, did Rogue One. Really popular, right? But it only told a third of the story. Right. Then they did Solo, which was fitting three movies into one. Right. Then they did Rise of Skywalker, which is making a Legends novel a movie, right? They're trying all of these different things. It seems like they finally hit the nail on the head with The Mandalorian. Well, and I think one other thing is also a zeitgeist of our current discourse with entertainment. People like TV shows more than movies. I hate that, but it's true. And that format leads to the more nuanced stuff that we want. Sure. So having said all of that, right? When we get to Rogue Squadron, yes, that will be, I think, the final test of where are we? Right. Where are we with Star Wars? Are we telling competent movies? Are we doing modern day blockbusters? Are we doing something in between? Are we doing a whole smattering of things like where the MCU is at? And we're just going to see what people like. And we answer the question that hopefully it gets released before Rogue Squadron. There's no guarantees. Does the world want a Top Gun right now? (laughs) Top Gun Maverick, maybe it comes out and we see it and we get to test those waters. But like, I think that's the fun thing about Rogue Squadron is like Rogue Squadron more so than Rogue One or Solo. Like, we're not paying anything off. We're telling a fun adventure story about a bunch of flyboys and girls and things. Yeah. And it doesn't have to connect to anything. It could be based on those stories. It doesn't matter. The important thing is, do you want to see cool people in cool ships doing cool stuff? And can we also find substantive character morality plays to tack onto that, that remind us of star Wars? And the answer is, I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. (laughs) I'm excited to find out too. Um, It's nice because we already see that, you know, the rise of Skywalker and wonder woman, 84 Patty Jenkins last film before rogue squadron have things in common. Yes. Um, You know, they have some somatic things that are similar. Um, you know, the, the female hero characters of both films uh, completely turn a villain to dust by crossing their arms in an X form. Um, oh, wait, that's Justice League, not Wonder Woman 84. My fault. You're right uh, that Wonder Woman can do that. Though. Yes, right. I'm, draw- I'm drawing parallel. Oh, boy, I've been watching too many of these god-awful like, four-hour DC movies lately. Um, yeah, don't do that. Don't do- um, you, know, you know what Star Wars doesn't need? To be longer. Ugh, man. <laughs> it, well, okay. The Rise of Skywalker really could have benefited from another 20 minutes, but... But that's yeah. <laughs> because they didn't think hard enough about, oh, right, this is a movie and not a TV show. There's a lot to come uh, from Rogue Squadron. We're very excited about the potential there. 
like I just hope is, that it is not Wonder Woman 84. That's the future all is really bright for yeah. Star Wars, and it's going to be fun to see where it goes, and there's going to be more we love, and there's going to be more we don't like. And I know I... I don't know how I'm going to feel about Bad Batch. I've been playing a lot of Republic Commando lately. Great game. Go get it on your Switch and your PS4. I love Delta Squad. I have deep feelings about them. I don't want them to be the antagonists of Bad Batch, which they might be. <laughs> you know, because yeah. they're already introduced as good little soldiers in like one, one episode of Clone Wars. So I'm like, they're around. It could happen. They, they could be the company guys that I don't want them to be. <laughs> so, you know, it's... Star Wars is going to be full of disappointments and joys. And on the whole, it's still one of the best things in the universe. There's a reason we still choose to talk about it 86 weeks later oh uh, that we devote, geez. you know, we have what, been doing this I a long know, time. 10 hours of our week each week. I don't even want to By think the time about it's it. all said and done. It's edited. Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, but you know what? I'm excited to keep doing it because until next Wednesday, I'm Mac and I'm Ross. And may the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.